How's it going, everyone? Joe Gagne here, welcoming you to edition number 86 of Joe vs. the World and day four of our 10th anniversary extravaganza. When I uh, first formulated the plan for five shows in five days, the first three you've heard were basically what I imagined them to be. But there's so many people who contributed to this show, not only by appearing, but having me on their shows as well. I want to get as many people as possible involved. So I thought, well, let's just call up a bunch of people, ask the question, what's your favorite wrestling match of all time? Uh, this is a two-part show, part two coming tomorrow to close out the week. Originally, this was going to be one humongous show, but one show idea fell through, so I cut this one into two. And given how long the whole thing goes, probably for the best. So I want to shut my yap, and without further ado, let's talk to our first guest. I'm joined today by many people. First and foremost is the man without whom there would be no Joe versus the world, the man who hosts the site, supported it since day one, and of course he is the um, Sheedy Award-winning Lucha reporter, the master of all things Lucha, the Cubs fan. Cubs, how you doing? I'm good. I, I think we you would also need the world for your what for your podcast to happen to, and I don't take credit for the world. I'll take credit for uploading, but not the world. All right. Well, I'm always against them, so, you know. Yeah. Also the guest on episode number one. Yeah. Back 10 years ago. Can you believe it? No. I'm kind of scared to think about that. <laughs> You're a man with your own podcast now, so... Yeah. It, 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 it's even less regularly scheduled than yours, so I'm not sure if it counts. But. I don't know about that. All right, so the main thing here, I'm having a bunch of people on, and I'm asking them a very important question. It is, what's your favorite match of all time? Try to spread a little positivity here, get a bunch of people involved. So, Cubs, I'm going to ask you. What's your favorite match of all time? I think I went through a couple of picks because there's there's matches I've seen live, like some of the CML anniversary shows, uh, main events from previous years. There's matches that got me into wrestling and wouldn't have had seen otherwise. Um, the first CML show I saw had a Ultimo Guerrero and Ray Bucanero versus he held a Santo and Negro Casas match, which was like out of this, which kind of blew my mind. And without that match, maybe my maybe my last like decade of, of things would be kind of be different. If, if mm-hmm. there was if they happened to be an episode where they went with um, Pirelles and Grand Marcus in the main event, maybe my life would be different at this point. But <laughs> you've got plenty of those, yes. I think I would have to pick my favorite match is a match that a lot of people would pick, but one I have not seen in a, in a while would be the the um, Bret Hart versus Steve Austin. I quit match from WrestleMania 13 just because that was as weird as it was, as weird some, that was just when I was really getting into following wrestling. I think that was the first WrestleMania I had seen live. And that match, the story they told in that match was just so good that it completely, I was, I was a big Bret Hart fan and that completely got me onto Steve Austin's side, which I would not have thought beforehand. And it's a match that holds up still, you know, almost 20 years later. All right, I am stunned that this match was not a Lucha one or from WCW Worldwide. Yeah, well, you know, there's some good roadblock matches I'm overlooking. Rick <laughs> Solar put in some good work, I'm sure. It was just... Have you ever talked to Roadblock? I have not talked to Roadblock. I've not, had, I've not been lucky enough to have that experience. He has not... I've never asked him for advice about how to get started in wrestling to jump in the ring and attack anybody. But... But he will always be my mind of all those hours I wasted watching World Box matches. <laughs> anyway, back to uh, slightly more important matters of Steve Austin and Bret Hart. 
So you were watching this one live. Were you? I'm just, I was curious about these situations here. Were you uh, in a party? Were you uh, by yourself? Yeah, I, I got invited to a friend of a friend's place to watch the pay-per-view. And I think that would have been the first – look, I might have seen the WCW pay-per-view before, and I know I was watching – I was watching wrestling on the syndicated shows pretty regularly, but I wasn't watching watching Monday Night Raw or anything like that. And so that was compared to if you know you're watching your average superstars or whatever it was at that point match, and that match where we have we had blood, you had people brawling the crowd, you had the crowd going crazy rooting for Austin. That that's, that, that that can stick in your mind pretty well. Yeah, that's it's interesting that this is kind of an early entry for you where I came in. I have I, I like such a long history with Bret Hart and being a fan of his, and I didn't see that match until a long time ago because hey, there was no network at the time, and I was in college and broke and not able to afford pay per views. I may have been listening by Scramble Vision if you're old enough to remember. That, that's such a, things. That, that's a match that even might work on Scramble Vision as a call, and that was so good. That, amazing. I mean, Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler were. Were there, but, I mean, Vince McMahon does an incredible job there. I mean, he was the, the basically the booker and knew what story he wanted to tell. But he was, uh, yeah, he was on another plane of existence there. Yeah, I have not gone back and seen that on a network, but I, but I've read so many people who have gone back on a network. It does sound like it's a match that still is one of the best double turns of a match of all time, switching people on different sides. It's that. 1997 year, which I think you're just about getting into on the podcast, yep, is one of those great, one of those years that I, I doesn't never gets enough attention because I think it's it's before the Attitude Era, I guess technically, or before what's celebrated as the Attitude Era, because I guess it seems like it starts when DX because those other guys are still around. But the television that whole year of Austin becoming heel, uh, Austin becoming face of the Heart Foundation forming and having so many crazy shows in Canada, Um, both Calgary Stampede and that one Raw with a flag match that was just a crazy crowd. It's, it's, it it, it was a good time to really start paying a lot of attention to wrestling because the, just the week to week stuff was very good. And that, that match feel like it cut, kicked off that whole sequence of events. Yeah, it's, I mean, 1998 was the year, you know, they had the biggest pay-per-view of all time and then, you know, broke Nitro's winning streak. And a lot of new people came on, and they missed the year that kind of set it all up in that great year. And, um, I like, we all, I mean, Justin, Matt, and I did a list of and learn a month ago um, uh, about um, our favorite years and all that. I mean, that year placed high for all of us, so. That's right. But are you going to, are you? I mean, I know, you probably have to watch some. Arena Pueblo shows, but uh, you got to try to uh, carve some time out and uh, watch that in the future. Yeah, I think so. I'm I'm in the last home stretch of trying to close out all the stuff I have to watch for 2015. Thankfully, although I have like PWG DVDs sitting right next to my computer that I need to watch, but I think I need to go back and watch the network. It, it's great for the old stuff. I just never. It's Always, there's always seems like new stuff to go watch that you. I never taken much time to go back as old stuff as I probably should. Yeah, now um, I think that's the the best match the company ever did when you factor in, you know, historical significance, degree of difficulty, kind of memorable imagery. It, it checks every box. Do you feel the same way, or 
Yeah, it's I, just one that's more of a personal favorite for you. I, I, it's both a personal favorite and because it meant so much for what was coming up. And it, 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 for him, I mean, Austin, as I recall, Austin, the crowd was pretty much behind Austin going to that match, but that's where he really took off from that point on. And but I, but I think nothing because it's it adds so much to the business, and because it was even if even if they had blown the angle on the. Monday night afterwards, it was still such an incredible match. I think it would hold up long term. Yeah, I don't think. I mean, Austin had the uh, terrible neck injury just a you know five months later at SummerSlam. So yeah. interesting how people would have looked on it had uh, that been the end. Probably not. <laughs> but I mean, the, I think it's it's just so good a match. It would have stood on its own had Austin not blown up to the level he did. Right. I mean, you look at I guess another match that's Considered one of the great ones of, I guess, WWE, maybe I'm overrating, is that Benoit and Jericho versus Steve Austin and Triple H match, where it seemed like whatever they were going with next probably wasn't, whatever they ended up doing next was probably not the plan, because Triple H blew out his quad in that match. Yeah. But it's still, because that match was so great, it still holds up for a lot of people, except for the Benoit thing. But everything else about that match is pretty, pretty positively remembered. A bit of a doubter, that's true. Yeah, that thing. Yeah, that thing. Well, moving on. Uh, well, I want to thank you very much for coming on and sharing your best match. And how can people get a hold of you? Um, people should not get a hold of me. No, people get a hold of me <laughs> um, usually on Twitter is the fastest way. I'm the Cubs fan, and I'm with a blog, and I check both messages. And then you, if you're listening to this, you probably have a good idea where to find me on the Internet besides those places. <laughs> <laughs> Way to get your name out there. Yeah. And, uh, I'll plug Lucha Blog. Also, your podcast, Como Estas, in season three or four, whatever. Three, yeah. Uh, three, okay. Yeah, we'll go. Will, with it, will it be a perpetual season three? or if, if I go back to Mexico, we may increment it. So we'll see. We, that may be the season premiere if we get around to okay. this. That's, you know, that's a good hook to, uh, yeah. to kick off the season. Well, I thank you very much, and thank you for hosting this show and giving me uh, – Giving me the okay all those many years ago. No, Try it, yes, and see what happened. It worked out pretty good, so I'm glad I did it. It does okay. Yeah. We do all right. All right. Thanks again. <laughs> and we are back with a great man, a man who has not yet been on Joe versus the World. But I want to rectify that here. An all-around swell guy, Mike Falcone. Mike, how you doing? Joe, I'm really good. How are you, pal? And I'm really happy to finally be on after uh, almost. Jeez, I think I, I was listening to this show. God, it had to be mowing my, my lawn in the summer during when I was in college, like in like 2004. So to finally be on it, it's almost, it really is, not even, I shouldn't say almost, it, it, it is a dream come true. You know, <laughs> it certainly started in 2006, that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> you might be thinking of something else, but that's okay, I'll go with it. Well, maybe it was around like 2060, I don't know, I'm all sure. those. I can tell you everything about the match that we're going to talk about that happened in 1992, but you asked me about, like, the last like the last five to seven years, you know what I mean? And it's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about, but something from 1992 I can tell you as clear as day, so. All right, well, we have a hint, but for the good people at home, Mike, what's your favorite match of all time? My favorite match of all time is Sting Squadron versus the Danger- Dangerous Alliance from uh, Wrestle War 92. It was the War Games of, of that year, um... It was uh, just just an absolute bloodbath of a match. Just uh, what I love about wrestling. 
I'm 31 years old, so to give you a perspective on how old I was when I first saw it, I was uh, 92, so I would have been about 8 years old at the time. I think we're turning 8 years old. And, like, seeing that match when you're really young and, uh, you know, seeing this match now, it it's almost like, man, what was I seeing when I was that young? Because you're watching just an absolute bloodbath. I think half the people in this match ended up bleeding. I think the blood count was at about 50%. So... Yeah, it got a little hard to tell because everyone was bleeding on each other. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, right. I'm not sure whose blood is whose, but because Zabisco I, had blood on him, but Zabisco didn't bleed. I, I could tell you that much. I, I, I don't think he did, but uh, yeah, I know yeah. Steve Austin oh. and Dustin Rhodes hit absolute gushes. Yeah, like Steve Austin was bleeding before Steamboat came in at like four to tie it up at two apiece. You know what I mean? St- uh, Austin was just. Bleeding buckets, you know, it was it was crazy. And Wind, Wyndham too, he was and Dustin, jeez, you know, you think with uh, with Dusty, you know, being such a, like like the inventor of this match, really, you know, Dustin, yeah, because Dustin wasn't on the '91 uh, War Games, so you know, this was uh, I guess his uh, his time to show uh, Dad, you know, hey, look, I can I can do with the best of them. <laughs> yeah, look, Dad, I can bleed a gutter too. <laughs> yeah. It's it's just so far, like we see like blood these days is you know something hard way it's you know I don't want to say it's like a little cut but you're not used to seeing someone's face completely covered like in red no and, and you know what and that's why I like this match I mean I I love this match so much is because this was a war like this was pardon the pun this was you know two like these two teams that hated each other and um if uh, I'll, I'll reference it now there was a, 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 a an article in the WCW magazine. Where like they kind of had like this flow chart, and I'll, and I'll put a, put a picture of it. I'll post it online, but it basically just had like all these different lines of okay, well, who caused injuries to another, who had previous pay per view matches, who uh, who recently was feuding, you know, who. Joe, could you hear me? Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I don't know if I had dropped off there. I'm sorry, but like I told you, like you know, like who who just uh, who won a title from somebody, you know. Um, plus, like, the inner team, like, inner team descent in between, you know, because, um, you know, Wyndham and uh, Sting had that feud a couple of years ago, you know, prior, or Nikita and Sting, or even, you know, like, Arn Anderson and uh, and Zabisco, you know, were feuding at the time. You know, Zabisco, I think, soon after was outed, you know, from, from, the, from the alliance. But this was just these teams that hate each other, and there were so many different reasons why they hate each other, and this, by God, was going to be the match where... It didn't quite settle everything because I think there was still some feuds that did spine off after it, but it was just something where it came to a head, and this is the match, and it, it was just something that was mind blowing to me, you know, and, and it still is all these years later, and it's just a match I, I watch on uh, every Christmas morning or or, or, <laughs> or afternoon. I, I really do. I swear to God, and, and no better way to celebrate Christmas than watching this match. But I think because I love it so much, and you know, like I was telling Joe before we started recording. It's not maybe the most sexiest pick of the world because I think when you you know when you first started going online, Joe, like in the or at least for me anyway, like in the late nineties, War Games Night Two was very well regarded as you know one of the great you know the great matches of you know of all time, and I think you know years later it's still held up, but it's just a match where I never even gave another match any second thought of being my favorite match of all time. It's always pretty much been this match since. I don't know, for as long as I can remember anyway, you know, so. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, I didn't see this match until, like, you you would get online, like, I was online in 95. Yeah. And, you know, some of the people talked about, but you really had no way 
of seeing it at the time. I, I, defi- I finally saw it on a Dangerous Alliance VHS comp, custom comp tape I got, like, in the, the early 2000s. It wasn't until YouTube and now the, the, the network that, you, you know, you could go find this in two seconds, mm-hmm. which is... Uh, which is nice, but we should mention that the all the participants, and this is a fairly mind-blowing, it's uh, Sting Squadron of Sting, Ricky Steamboat, Barry Windham, Dustin Rhodes, and Nikita Koloff against uh, the Dangerous Alliance of Rick Rude, Bobby Eaton, Arn Anderson, Larry Zabisco, and Steve Austin. And like, <laughs> the, I mean, the worst guy is probably Nikita, who, you know, A, wasn't all that bad, B, he was only in the match for four minutes, and See, he had that man hug with Sting in an awesome moment because they had feuded before. It's kind of that, you know, it, it kind of paid off if you were a long-term exactly. WCW. Yeah, exactly. Like you were wondering, even then, you know, you know, if you were following along, like, you know, are they going to be, you know, is is Nikita going to turn on him? And and no, he wasn't. So I think that's a great point. Where like maybe arguably the worst guy in the match was a, a, a very vital part of the match because that was a you know a great spot and the boy did that crowd go nuts. That's something I do want to talk about, too, was every time someone from the Babyface team came in, like, that that place just absolutely exploded. Um, like, and, you know, it, it, it's rough to say now, you know, you watch, you know, Raw now, and you watch these people back then, how they react. It, it, it's, it's almost like it's two separate things that they're reacting to, even though it's all just pro wrestling, you know, because these people are just losing their minds. Like, there was that spot where <clears throat> Medusa goes to the top of the cage, and then Sting follows her up, and that place comes unglued for just Sting climbing to the top of the cage. And I think, you know, it's it just uh, it, a hot crowd always adds to a match. You know, even if the, the you know the ink, the ring ring work is great, having that hot crowd and this this crowd was definitely hot. You know, it, it really you know gets you. in. I, I don't think there's like a dry part of the match. I think it's all pretty, you know, pretty you know pretty like juiced up. I and you know it's uh. It's something, you know, it, there's no, like, dry point to it. And like you said, this this match is basically the end, the beginning of the end of the, the Dangerous Alliance. Like, Zabisco got kicked out, and they kind of mm-hmm. just kind of went their separate ways shortly afterwards. You compare that to all the Horsemen War games, and they were in a bunch, and, you know, <laughs> they would lose, but, like, so what? Like, nothing yeah. nothing seemed to change. Mm-hmm. Like, I know they won the year before, but they lost a bunch in the 80s and whatnot, and, you know, they're always good matches. But this had, like... This was superheated, violent, and it you know had a lasting effect. So exactly, and you know something too about this match is visually, I think just the two rings and like the giant cage. I, I think like that, like that. There's something to it, you know, when you're young and you see there, or even when you're older and you see that. Like there's something to it that you know, it visually it's very appealing. You know where you know it kind of like. It, you know, it adds something to it just there for, like, the atmosphere of this match. It's not just, you know, a regular match. It's, you know, the two rings together. It's it's something where, you know, it doesn't happen too often, but, you know, it's always kind of really fun just to have that atmosphere because it's not something, you know, that you see every day. It's something different. It's true. It's very eye-catching. Yeah. And, um, it also <laughs> lets people's head get stuck between the ring. I think <laughs> Arn and Rick Rude, they, they both did spots where they let someone stuck their head in the ring. <laughs> and people could kind of fly over from one ring to another. It's very, you're right, it's very aesthetically pleasing. And um, kind of one of my last uh, thoughts on this is I thought Jesse, Jesse Ventura and Jim Ross did the call. I thought they were awesome here. Yes. Just like, yeah, I kind of, like, you know, they were, Jesse was fairly short-lived, I think, at WCW, but uh, you know, he and JR were just, just awesome. Like, uh, is everything good about Jim Ross and everything good about Jesse Ventura kind of 
put together. It's a perfect capper. I'm, I'm very happy that you made that point, too, because that's something I, I wrote down as well. I think Jesse Venter is a, a great announcer. He, he's really... Uh, Really good, you know. He's you know he has his moments, but him and Jim Ross really uh, I think worked really well, especially here. He had a line about uh, which one of Steamboat's girlfriends in the in the crowd. <laughs> That's right. There could be twenty of them. Yeah, there could be twenty of them. He's like, ah, oh, stop that, Jesse. You know he's a married man. But that was just that was just so funny how you know he was just kind of a ball buster and stuff like that. Yeah, they added a lot to it, and um, I think. Jim Ross, you know, people talk about Jim Ross uh, being that great announcer, you know, the, the the greatest announcer of all time, where, you know, he calls it like a sport, you know, and I think watching this, this is a great, you know, example, A, of, of why people hold Jim Ross into such high regard is how he calls this match, because, you know, this isn't just any other match, this is the war games, this is... These guys come to a head, it's very violent, and Jim Ross, for a guy that calls, you know, wrestling, or, or you know, wants to call it like a, like a sport, like a, a big football fan that he is and stuff like that, where you can kind of maybe use, like, the superlatives a little bit, you know, and kind of, you know, venture out in kind of way that, they, that you can describe the action. I think, you know, this was something that was tailor-made for him as well, and, and he was uh, a great part of this match. That's one thing I, I, I when I, every time I watch this match, Lord knows I watched it a million times. Yeah, Jim Ross and Jesse are, are great on it, so I love yeah, it. Yeah, if you, yeah, if you haven't seen this match, go to the network right now. It's it's it goes like twenty three minutes. It flies by because pretty much every two minutes it's a new match or some new comes in. It's just kind of the genius of War Games put to its uh, put to its best use. So, Mike, I want to thank you for coming on, helping me celebrate. My uh, ten years of podcast. Yeah, where, where can the people find you? They can find me. Oh, uh, jeez. They can't find me in too many places, I guess. But uh, <laughs> one, one way they can find me is on uh, Twitter. I'm at Mike vs Philly. Mike versus Philly was supposed to be a, a bl- it was honest to God. Now that I think about it, and there's no no lie, it was like a a knockoff of Joe versus the World, where Mike versus Philly was supposed to be like my blog when I moved down to uh, Conchac, and which is right outside of uh, Philadelphia. Uh, the suburbs in 2008, Mike versus Philly was supposed to be like my blog where it was me moving, you know, to the city and me versus, you know, all the different restaurants or, or whatever, you know, and I was, you know, I mean, just different things, but that never really took off, but, uh, it, it did land for Twitter, uh, which really did take off. So I guess, you know, it all works. There you go. I, I follow Mike and I don't follow anyone. So that should tell you yeah. the quality of his Twitter. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. And, uh, Ten more years, Joe. Oh, at least. Here's hoping. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back with our next guest. And we're back, and I am joined by a man who has briefly been on Joe vs. the World, but he has done a podcast or two in his day. The host of the Dr. Keith Presents on F4WOnline.com, Mr. Alan Cunahan. Alan, how you doing since it's been so long since we last talked? Joe, it's been a great, great many hours and days since I last heard your voice. But uh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here on Joe vs. the World. Uh, a real treat and an honor for myself, as it was, I believe, the first time my voice was ever heard on the pro wrestling airwaves. I, either that or my uh, call into Wrestling Observer Live where I got Dave Meltzer marking out about Togi Makabe in 2007. One or the other were uh, my first, but uh, I can't, can't really remember. But, uh, do you remember when it was the, uh, the potpourri show? Uh, would have been early, oh, like, around February, March, 07. 
you know it was because I talked about the Ring of Honor shows I was I was going to um, in early March of seven, which would mean that was my first appearance because the WOL was during summer two thousand seven when Makabe and Nagata had that match where they stabbed each other with scissors. Well, there you go. You can blame me, everyone. All right, yeah. Alan. What's your Thanks favorite match of all time? My favorite match of all time, Joe Gagne. Oh, let me tell you. I like a lot of wrestling matches. Don't know if people know that or not. But one wrestling match, to me, will always have a special place in my heart. And uh, it is what I think some would say is is in contention for, or in the conversation of one of the, the greatest All Japan matches ever. For me, it is the greatest. And as we're talking about here, it's my favorite match of all time. Um, it is from May 1992 in Sendai. Kenta and Tsuyoshi Kikuchi, who was the hometown boy for this show, going for the All Asia Tag Titles, which was basically the secondary tag titles in All Japan, against perennial All Asia Tag Team champions, the Kanam Express, one of my favorite teams of all time. Doug Furness and Danny Crawford. Silifon, as some people may know him. And uh, Joe, I could wax poetic about this match for hours. What I'll just say straight off the bat is I defy anyone to find a match with a louder sustained crowd response and a reaction to moves than this one. Maybe someone will be able to throw some uh, um, 80s Joshi match. Actually, you know what? I'm going to say find me a match with a louder sustained crowd response that wasn't from 13-year-old girls, and then I'll be impressed. Because I don't think there was one, Joe. This crowd was absolutely crazy. And the work from the guys just made the crowd even better. And the guys just started working harder and harder because the response was so good. And it just... It just built and built and built. And this place, this building was in an absolute frenzy as this thing came down to the final stretch. Kikuchi was just the best baby face in peril ever. Kobashi was full of fire, which uh, we may or, not have talk, may or may not have talked about uh, as being a great attribute in pro wrestling earlier today. But certainly not. We didn't talk earlier today. Um, and... Uh, Furness and Crawford were just outstanding in the role of, of, I don't want to say heels, because they weren't really being heels, but they were, they were the, the team that the crowd didn't want to win, and they were, they were being aggressive, and they were tr- cutting off the ring, and they were working as a great tag team. And, uh, oh, there were some great spots. There was a, a torture crab spot, which is basically like the lion tamer, which is probably one of the first times um, people had seen a line tamer, and this thing was so brutal, and the crowd were going so wild for it. And Crawford, as he applied this hold, was just reveling in the the heat that it was getting. It was tremendous. Um, the action down the stretch, like the spots and everything, just off the charts. Some of the things they came up with were was unbelievable, and the finish is legendary. Kobashi pumping that fist, hitting the moonsault. It's it's quite the spectacle. Um, I, have, I have one more story to talk about with regard to this match, but before I go into that, Joe, uh, I'll let you uh, give your thoughts. 
Yeah, I mean, this match is just super. I'm just curious for context. When did you first see this match? Because I'm guessing two-year-old Alan wasn't watching. Um, you know, seven-year-old seven. Alan. Have you actually just about to turn seven? He's, okay, he's still six. Um, uh, but uh, I probably first saw it. I started going back and watching All Japan from 89 onwards in 2006, which meant I would have got to 92 probably sometime in 2007. But I feel like I had seen this match before that. I don't know. if, if I probably I saw it getting a little hype or something, and, and I went and watched it out of sequence because I feel like it is one of the first All Japan matches I saw. And um, it was a match which one of the, the, the great things about it is that like for years, just the version that was online was maybe 75% of the match. Mm-hmm. And then a version came out that was like 88% of the match. And I was like, oh my God, there's all this new stuff. And I was like, oh, there's this stuff from like the first five minutes that was amazing and all this kind of stuff. And then even more recently, a version came out that's like pretty damn close to being the full thing. Like you might be missing 30 seconds of the match at most. And, uh, yeah, I mean, super high quality. And, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a treasure, uh, on my, I probably have this, uh, that first of the match backed up on about three different hard drives. Cause if there, there will, as long as I'm alive, that match will, will be in existence. I refuse to let that, uh, let that, uh, fall through the cracks. Yeah, I think Kobashi had a DVD come out that came out with a near complete version of it. And, um, I don't know why they couldn't put the missing 30 seconds on, but, so be it. Um, yeah, maybe there's a horrendous botch in it. <laughs> oh, maybe it like, oh, it all oh Jesus! This match is really special. People love it. Better not ruin it all by showing this moment where like it all falls apart. Yeah, someone like crapped their trunks or something. <laughs> they had to edit it out. <laughs> um, I mean, the, this match is famous for the crowd. And why do you? I mean, it was a hometown boy going for the titles, but I mean, was there something more than that going on? Was it just one of those nights where it just Everything aligned, and the crowd was just going completely bonkers. Because I'm sure Kikuchi's, uh, Kikuchi's been there before and didn't get this kind of response. I mean, it was just one of those this nights where everything probably, went right. This was probably his first time getting a title shot like this. And they might have done a bit of, like, I don't know, promoting in local media or whatever, hyping it up. And, um, but I would say the main ingredient was just how great a job he and Kobashi did as baby faces. Like... It, this match is one of the all-time great babyface performances, in my opinion. Oh, I have to mention, I saw this match, um, I believe, um, kind of an unsung thing in wrestling history is when file-sharing sites like Mega Upload and SendSpace kind of came on the scene. It was like, oh, you know, people had people were posting links of uh, matches they had on their hard drive, and suddenly, you know, you didn't have to go pop out 20 bucks for a tape. You could, it kind of, you know, it wasn't quite YouTube-level access or anything like that, but it was like... Kind of a big moment because I started seeing a lot of great wrestling I hadn't seen before because I hadn't plunked down the money to to buy it or I didn't know it was available. So that's matches, matches everywhere. Do you yes. remember? Oh, I do remember that. God. <laughs> uh. Yeah, that was. Uh, I would be. I would be listening to uh, Joe versus the World. I know interviewing Alex Kozlov or someone like that, and I would be. Uh, I would be perusing matches, matches everywhere, and uh, yeah, finding a sense-based link of uh, I don't know uh, Yuji Nagata versus Togi Makabe stabbing each other with scissors. There you go. 
And uh, uh, I have to give a uh, special props to the announcers, because um, at one point, Kobashi hits his double underhook DDT, and the announcer screams out, DDT, and he drags it out for the entire near fall. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, this match, like, totally holds, like, this is, you're like, oh, this is like a quarter century ago. Totally holds up, completely, perfectly paced, a lot of great offense here that doesn't, not out of place today, there's like a table spot where Kikuchi just totally eats shit, doesn't go through a table. Um, yeah, just super. And you actually met one of the participants in this match. I did, and that was my story. I was gonna, I was gonna bring it to. I've probably told the story a million times. For anyone who's never heard it, uh, one of my absolute highlights of a wrestling fan, and the reason I, I really don't get too fussed about meeting wrestlers anymore because you should have seen me the first few times I went to wrestling shows and stuff like. The idea of meeting wrestlers was just, I was freaking out over it, and I wanted to get my photo, and it was just a huge, big thing for me. But now it's, like, not a big deal at all. Mm-hmm. Reason being, um, because once I had this moment, nothing else was ever going to even come close to touching it. Um, I met Kenta Kobashi, and it was at one of these Q&As before uh, the NOAA UK show, and um, these... Uh, Q and A's are usually organized in, where you can you meet all the guys and you get you get pay extra if you want to get the eight by tens and you're also allowed to take a photo with your own camera and get like two items signed or whatever the rules might be. So um, I decide one of the items, actually for a bunch of the guys, the main items I was going to get signed was I was going to print off um, on I recently purchased some glossy paper and uh, printable glossy paper and. I was printing off photos of uh, the guys, like moments in certain matches or whatever, onto this glossy paper, and I was going to get them to sign um, these various pieces of paper. So um, for Kobashi, I printed off um, uh, two photos. One was um, the oh, he had just comeback match from cancer and at. Budokan a couple of months prior in December and there's this photo of him and the other guys in the match all holding each other's arms up in the crowd all going crazy like that and then I had the photo from right after the pinfall of this match in 92 where him and Kikuchi are getting their hands raised and they're both like in tears the crowd are going mental and you see the Can-Am Express in the background and uh, I approached Kobashi with uh, these two photos and he didn't seem to care too much about the uh, comeback from cancer one that made no impression on him but he took the photo of the match from 92 and he put it in both hands and he just stared a hole through it and I was like there was this pause and I was worried in the back of my mind because I I had um, I think I had like left my bag with my friend or something like this and I didn't have my, my wallet with me so I had no money on me as I was going to the queue. And one of the things was he had these Kobashi giant chop hands that were made up. And everyone in the queue was buying a giant chop hand and getting them to sign us because, of course, he would. It was awesome. But I didn't have any money to, to buy it. So I felt like, oh, shit, I'm the only one going up to him without the hand. And I was, I was kind of nervous about that. But then he took this thing and he was staring a hole through it for a, a good 30 seconds and there was there was nothing happening. And I was like, oh God, what the hell? What the hell? And then he just went, oh. And I was like, 
oh my god, what's going on? And then he's like, oh, oh, Sendai, oh, all Asia, oh, and I was like, yes, 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 and, he, and then he's like, yes, 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 and he's getting all excited, and he's he's starting to move around, and he was like sitting down for the whole thing, a lot of the other guys are standing around and stuff, he was he had a seat because he was like an older guy, he didn't move too well, he'd just come back from cancer, so, but he gets up from his seat, and he's, he's like, pointing stuff out to me on the photo, and he, he points at Doug Furness, and he goes, oh, Doug Furness, oh, very strong, very strong. And I was like, yes, Doug Furness, very strong, drop kick, hurrah, hurrah. And he was like, yes, Frankensteiner. I was like, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing ever. And one of my buddies, who I didn't even know at the time, I go to shows with him now here in Ireland, he's, he's, he's a good guy, and he, uh, he, I didn't know him then at all, but he was in the queue like four people behind me at this, and he tells me now that he remembers seeing me, and he remembers this whole thing, like his visualization of this whole meeting between me and Kobashi in his head, and he says it's like the greatest thing he's ever seen in a wrestling show. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it was it was a magical moment in my life, and I Kobashi happily signed this photo and my other stuff, and got a photo with him and he looks like the happiest man in the world in the photo and uh, yeah and I was the happiest man in the world after it so that is my story of uh, this match that is that's so gratifying because this match that clearly you love and it means a lot like Kobashi's had so many great matches he may you know this was very still early in his career he may have just been like oh but the fact that he was so excited about it just makes me even more excited about it yeah so that's my story, Joe. That is my favorite match of all time. All right. Well, thank you, Alan, so much for uh, joining us here. You can catch Alan frequently on F4WOnline.com, the host of Dr. Keith Presents. Any other plugs for you? Fighting Spirit Magazine. Of course, Fighting Spirit and, Magazine. Uh, yeah, and uh, uh, all that good stuff. All that good stuff. Yeah, thanks for having me, all Joe. Right. Happy anniversary. Oh, thank you. Thanks for coming on, Alan. No problem. Okay, we are back with a man who is not only a humongous influence on this very show, the former host of the Pursuit Power Hour, the Dr. Keith Show, and Chicago wrestling kingpin, I should say, Dr. Keith Lipinski. Keith, how are you? I am the Marlowe Stanfield of the Chicago wrestling scene, I feel. So, hey, I'm doing wonderful, Joe. Thank you for letting me come on and once again ruin your fucking show. So, <laughs> All right, it's been a long time. It's but... been a long time, and I feel like ruining. So let's, let's, let's get to it, baby. All right, Keith, what's your favorite match of all time? It's a good question, Joseph. Uh, you know, it, 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 it was hard for me to pick one particular match that I would sit there and say as, hey, you, watch this match because it has everything I like about pro wrestling. I, I, I debated this for weeks on myself, on my own personal one-man message board, trying to figure out what match would I sit there and say is, a match I'd sit there and say is among my favorites. Uh, at one point, I was thinking about saying that it was Chris Hero versus Pentagon Jr. from uh, AAW's uh, wonderful Windy City Classic last November, available at smartmarkvideo.com. Uh, but at the same time, I was like, do I really want something that I was heavily involved in or helped plan? You know, although it's, it's a fantastic match and should be checked out by everyone. And then it was something where, okay, do I really want to be involved with this at all? And the answer to that was no. 
Like let's let's make this let's make this when I sit there and look at my wrestling fandom and where let me let me just take the raw data of my wrestling fandom and figure out the point where I sat there and was like, damn, you know, where when was that point? And uh I, I basically went back to a match that uh I've been raving about it for years because I was there. The, it was a simpler time for America, Joe. It was uh, the year 1990. Uh, you know, uh, this was about the time that I was heavily I was heavily into the WWE, but started going towards the dark side. And the dark side of that, that of course, was the National Wrestling Alliance. And uh, the National Wrestling Alliance also ran Chicago, and uh, they ran their Halloween Havoc 1990 show. In Chicago, uh, and I, I was there. Uh, I believe, looking at an old observer just to get some technical information, uh, uh, the live gate of the show was one hundred and fifteen thousand uh, dollars. You know, the place was set up for eight thousand fans. There were about seven thousand paid and one thousand freebies. And I, Joseph, was one of those freebies. I had gotten oh. I had gotten free tickets, I believe, through the Chicago Sun Times. When, much like the Japanese media, the American media actually cared about wrestling for a few, few minutes. Uh, and uh, I was live at Halloween Havoc 1990 to see, it, 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 in my opinion, one of my favorite matches of all time. Even though after watching it this week, it was not as enjoyable as I remember it being. But it still is a lot of head-dropping, stiff fun. The Brothers Steiner versus the Nasty Boys. So I would sit there and say that this is among my top matches of all time. Uh, Keep in mind, though, Joseph, because, you know, when I come on a show, I like to do a little research beforehand. And, uh, you know, this match was only given three and three-fourths stars by Dave. But, however, he called it probably the stiffest match in the U.S. this year. And keep in mind, this is October. So think about what that's saying. But uh, this match this match epitomizes to me everything that I like about pro wrestling. Number one, there's an angle behind it. And the angle is this. The Nasty Boys are the hot, fresh team. The Steiner Brothers, although the U.S. tag team champions, are without a doubt the gold standard in tag team wrestling during this time that wasn't the masked team of doom. Uh, the Nasty Boys come into the National Wrestling Alliance, attack the Steiners, lay out the Steiners, and this point is mentioned ad nauseum by uh, Jim Ross and Paul E. Dangerously on commentary during the match at the UIC Pavilion a month before Jones. Seem like equals. Granted, the Steiner brothers win in the end after a Frankensteiner, and it looks like... Uh, Brian Nobbs doesn't really go all the way over, and he gets planted right on his head. But it's quite beautiful. But it would explain a lot, potentially, about Brian Nobbs, you know. <laughs> but it was it was a match where the Nasty Boys, through their underhanded tactics, they basically were, you know, they were the definitive heels here. They weren't getting cheers because the Steiner brothers were loved during this time. This is before Scott Steiner became White Lightning Scott Steiner. Like, this was when... Scott Steiner was known as a moves with a Z guy before there were other guys, Joe, that were moves with a Z. And he was just, he was so much fun to watch. And there's so much good stuff going on in this match. I mean, because it basically, it is, when we, when, when myself and a few people come together to book AAW Wrestling, AAWrestling.com, uh, 
we basically, we, we go through all the matches, and one of the phrases that Danny Daniels likes to use is fireworks show. And this match, to me, is a perfect example of a fireworks show, because it starts off really hot. The Steiner brothers do a lot of crazy stuff to begin with. They do the top rope bulldog in a few minutes in. Scott, uh, belly to bellies, uh, I believe Jerry Sags, off the middle rope. And the, basically the Steiner brothers get a lot of shine, and they look great to start off with. And then it slows down and becomes more of the nasty boys doing this and that. And it's just it just goes back and forth so well where it's, you know, there's blood, which is always a plus to me. You know, forget about, you know, Hepsi or anything like that. I, I enjoy me some blood. I'm not going to sit there and deny that. But it's just it just it works because the nasty boys before this were a team that looked good on NWA. But this was the, their match that was sort of sat there and said, okay. Look at us. We're the nasty boys. You know, like this is, you know, they weren't about putting people's faces in their armpits. They just hit you and hit you double hard. And the Steiner brothers definitely came at them just as hard. So, you know, it was, the match has so many great redeeming qualities. Now, now did I find myself being a little bored at times during this? Yes, because this match happened in 1990, which if you're a fan of modern mathematics, is a long, 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 long time ago. Like, you know, for instance, today I had lunch with, uh, you know, a bunch of five-year-olds. I was, I was reading at my daughter's school. And I don't think they would enjoy that match as much as, you know, potentially something that Pro Wrestling Guerrilla or Beyond Wrestling or AAWWrestling.com has done in the last few years. But during that time, this was different than a lot of other matches you saw. And this sort of, between this and Jushin Thunder Liger, this really opened my eyes to a more athletic form of professional wrestling that you would find in companies like New Japan and All Japan. Yeah, I, I sat down and watched this match, too. And I was <laughs> the whole match was either the Steiners hitting enormous moves on the Nasty Boys or... <laughs> like some poor, like there were four spots where someone got hit from behind. I don't think they realized it was coming. No, which I, I don't recommend. But that's <laughs> realistic, though, Joe. It that's, is. That's something you, you know. When you can do anything that sort of looks realistic in pro wrestling, and potentially someone doesn't get a concussion, you won. <laughs> I don't. I don't know about the potentially at this point. Well, but, uh, possibly. I mean, we don't have to sit there and count. I mean, we can't. I know we can't make concussions about it. But I, you said this was airing in April, so I would think. But that time we've gotten over this whole Daniel Bryan and concussion thing, and we, I'm kidding. I miss him. I miss him so much already. But, uh, but uh, yeah, there were there was a few moments in there, and like just a few odd chair shots and a, a few odd moments. I, the other thing I liked about it was, I thought the commentary by Jim Ross on this was excellent because he, you know, he's sitting there talking about the Steiner brothers. This is, this, is, this is what I love about old WCW that not enough people rave about. Jim Ross is talking about the Steiner brothers' fucking parents and how they're good middle-class <laughs> yep. people and how the Steiner brothers, they were Michigan All-Americans, they went to school on scholarships. Paul Heyman comes back with a line about the Nasty Boys being upset because they never went to college. You know, that, 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 that's cold. You know, like Paul Heyman, during, during a, a parts of this match, was a perfect heel color commentator because he gave some insight, and then at also times he was grading as fuck. You know, like, you know, it was, it was, it was one of those things where I, I think that, you know, Jim Ross in there, he was calling this as a competitive match. You know, it wasn't him firing off catchphrases, you know, talking about 
their athletic backgrounds, the physicality of the match, you know. And even when the Steiner brothers hit moves that we hadn't seen before, they weren't making up names for it. They were just sitting there saying, oh, that's a top rope DDT, you know. And, like, it was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was dynamite, you know. It was a lot of fun. And the Steiner brothers were a fun tag team. I mean, I, I think of it this way. I, you know, I'm 41 years old now, and there wasn't many Halloweens that I dressed up. But when I was in high school, when I was a senior in high school, you know who I dressed up as for Halloween? Rick Steiner. Wow. You know? Now, now granted, when I met Rick Steiner, did I tell him this? No, because I realized he didn't want to talk to me. When, (laughs) When I saw Scott Steiner, did I mention how much of a big fan I was of his back in the day? No, because he was too busy yelling at someone else that was nearby. But at the same time, I want to sit there, Joe, and I know they're probably not listening to the show, but I want to thank the Steiner Brothers for all the wonderfulness that they've given us in pro wrestling. And especially Scotty. I want to thank Scott Steiner for becoming the wonderful, crazy, strong man that you became after this point of time, after your mullet was gone. And, you know, like I want to sit there and say around 1996 when you were wearing the Triple H leather black hat, and just seemed to be getting bigger and bigger. You know, that was the uh, antithesis of you becoming Scott Steiner, who does moves, to Scott Steiner, who just scares the crap out of people, where I can listen to five hours of you, you know, on shoot interviews and, and, and promos, just talking about life, and it's wonderful. So, thank you, Scott Steiner. You are truly, you're truly an all-American in more ways than one. All right, I have one last question. It's a little odd, but... um. Being at the show, do you remember what he wore that night? Because I went back and rewatched this. The 1990s were in full effect uh, as far as fashion goes for this show. I believe I was wearing a cross-color shirt and British night shoes. No, I, I, I don't. I don't. Uh, let me think. I, I, I might have been wearing, I did own a Steiner Brothers t-shirt with a big M on it. And, you know, basically the, the classic promo picture of Scout Mounting Rick on the back of it. Uh, I, I probably was wearing, I probably at that time was wearing whatever pair of Jordans were out up at that time. And I might have done a tight roll. So, like, oh, yeah, it was, it was a wonderful time for fashion. And I was just happy for the fact that, you know, I didn't have to actually pay to get in the, the building. But I, it was weird because when the whole uh, Sting, uh, Barry Windham switcheroo happened. The, the, from my vantage point, like I, I, I still like we sort of left being like, okay, what what on there? Because it wasn't like they had really huge scream screens, you yeah. know. And I believe the buddy I was with, who now uh, runs a nudist group in Chicago, uh, I believe he was just scared of the Black Scorpion because after the Black Scorpion took that WCW stagehand put her in a cage and made her disappear. Like, he, we knew, really, the threat of the Black Scorpion was all around us, you know. And also, also after, after the Steiner Brothers match, the Nasty Boys, even though they lost, they attacked the Steiner Brothers, bring Rick out, then Scott Steiner does a promo, okay? And Scott Steiner, it's a usual yelling promo, how this isn't over. And all of a sudden, a popcorn guy is behind Scott on the interview stage, which, you know, once again, it's great to see when babies' faces are very dumb. And this is a very dumb, like, I, I would sit there and say, excuse me, you don't realize there's no people around us right now. Like, it's just me and Tony Schiavone, who's dressed up like the Phantom of the Opera or the Undertaker in a few years. Like, can you go somewhere else? And lo and behold, it's one of the Nasty Boys. So the Nasty Boys attack the Steiner Brothers again. So even though the Steiner Brothers and 
to quote the old cliche, have won the battle. They still are losers in the war. And then the st- and then the nasty boys just picked up and left. So yeah, that's kind of that's 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 how we we you know and, and you know many years later they could have potentially had a rematch in uh, what do they call it? What promotion was that? Uh, what was the promo XWS? They could have had, oh yes, they could have had a rematch there. But really, it's not as fun as my memories of them potentially having rematches and my fan fiction of the Steiner Brothers Nasty Boys Festival 100 series. All right, Keith, I want to thank you for your appearance here. Uh, thank you, Joe. I'm, I'm sorry, I was too, I was way too concise. I should have really gone off. See, that's why I need a Semper Vivi or a na- Nailer to go off on tangents. Yeah, it, it does help. So, uh, got any plugs for the people out there? I just want to plug, of course, AAW Pro. Uh, definitely check a find, find us on that Twitter machine of yours. I don't know if we're still saying Twitter machine, but what the fuck. Uh, and definitely, uh, like us on Facebook. You could always definitely check me out on Twitter, uh, Keith Lipinski, at Keith Lipinski. Just, it's either wrestling-related stuff, music-related stuff, or things about my kids. So, But, Joe, Joe, I want to thank you, though, because you've actually given me an outlet to talk, which, you know, I, I appreciate. So, and I appreciate all the hard work you've done. I mean, we're celebrating, what, uh, 10 years? of uh, 10 years. 10 great years. Wow, so many memories. Trying to remember all of them. I, I just hope this segment is between me and the American uh, balloon speaking. Uh, if I can get him, I'll definitely bookend you there. I, ho- I hope he's available. And we are back with Rich Krejci, the Voices of Wrestling podcast and website. He's the sane one if you keep in count. <laughs> Rich, how are you Rich doing? Top. Yes, I'm, I'm doing well. This is, a, this is a dream come true. I've been a longtime fan of uh, Joe vs. the World, and particularly the, uh, the, the yearbook ones you guys did, uh, you and Justin Shapiro. I... There was many, there was like a, I, I definitely like a full year where I would like use those to fall asleep every single night, which is not good. Like, like hearing your guys' voices every single night is probably the why I'm in the state I'm in right now. So. Very upset, I have to say. I mean, great shows, but yeah, like, I, I, they'd like call me, it was like a little baby with just hearing just Shapiro's voice. I don't know why. Well, that's a this upsetting start. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not favoring anyone. You want to rethink that whole thing? <laughs> I, I may have to rethink that. Yeah, you want to redo that intro or what? Yeah, well, we'll go with it. Uh, Rich, what's your favorite match of all time? My favorite match of all time is CM Punk versus John Cena, uh, Money in the Bank 2011. So if I'm remembering my apocrypha correctly, which I, I misused that word when I watched <laughs> it anyway, uh, this match is this match changed your life in a way. In fact, you, you would probably not be here talking it's to me. Very true. Not, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I've been a hardcore wrestling fan since probably, I mean, 1995 is when I first kind of picked up wrestling. I think I was watching, like, Pacific Blue and wrestling would come on before or after. And I, <laughs> 95, you started. Oh, my God. Who starts in 95? That's what yeah, well, I watched, like, Pacific Blue, and I was like, oh, Doink the Clown's cool. Or, like, Yoko Zen is cool. I was, like, 11. I, I, no, I, not 11. God, I was, like seven at that point or whatever and then right. uh 98 99 that's when i was in like you know sixth grade and middle school or whatever which which coincided with like my love of like you know dick jokes and boobs or whatever so it was, it was a perfect time to really become a hardcore wrestling fan as you know 98 99 and then i would say probably about 99 is when i became like you know the smarky one found the internet and all that sort of stuff and 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 i've been a hardcore wrestling fan pretty much since then i'm just doing different stuff you know e-fed that sort of stuff um talking on message boards with it you know talking with people all over the, the world and, and and watching wrestling from all across the world as well, um, there became a period, though, probably about uh, pretty much after the Benoit thing to about, you know, 2011, early 2011, where, I, you know, I watched, you know, I, I followed it, but I was pretty much strictly like Ring of Honor I liked, but WWE, I was really just disconnected with it. It wasn't the wrestling I liked. It was nothing that really intrigued me much, and um, 
you know, this particular match, the big build, I mean, obviously the, the one that everybody remembers is the CM Punk promo, the, you know, the quote-unquote work shoot promo uh, in Las Vegas. And, and I wasn't even watching live at the time. I know um, I had a bunch of buddies that were like, oh, my God, did you see what happened on Raw? And I was like, no, you know, nothing ever happens on Raw. <laughs> there's no need to see that. And I look up and there's, you know, this, these, all over YouTube, it's exploding of all oh, the CM Punk shoots on WWE or whatever. I'm like, what the hell? Or, and, you know, I watched it, and obviously knowing it wasn't a shoot, knowing it was a part of an angle, though, it was still, for the first time in a long time, I got, like, emotionally invested in the program. I got emotionally invested in WWE again because it was, you know, it, it wasn't a shoot promo in, in, in that sense, but it had little, like, it had little tinges of, like, yeah, this is all true stuff that he's saying. It's stuff that, you know, a fan base, you know, a fan like me, absolutely believes, you know, the stuff about the cartoons and about Vince McMahon and, and all sort of stuff. And it's like, you know, yeah, this is, it, it definitely speaks to me. And, and you know, knowing that this is building up to Money in the Bank uh, 2011, which is going to be in Chicago, and I pretty much told myself I wasn't going to go to any live WWE shows anymore because I went to Night of Champions 2010, and I don't know if you remember that. But, uh, nope. Yeah, yes. Uh, <laughs> the main event was like some terrible six pack challenge with like, uh, Randy Orton and Chris Jericho. And it, it was awful. It was a terrible one. I was like, I'm never going to another one of these again. Uh, but then the build was, you know, it's the Money in the Bank 2011, and, you know, I was like, okay, look, it's going to be John Cena, CM Punk. That's going to be pretty cool. And then, CM, uh, you know, CM Punk said the thing of, you know, my contract expires. And, you know, if I win the title, I'm out of here. And I was like, well, this is, you know, it's, it's got some stakes to it. And obviously knowing that, again, that's a work or whatever. But it was still something that, like, me and my friends, for whatever reason, we got, we, we, you know, we got emotionally attached to it one way or another. It was like, you know, we finally, we felt like kids again. It was like, you know, I know CM Punk's not going to quit if he, you know, if he wins or whatever. But it's kind of cool to think that, like, that's kind of a fun little story. So, um, <clears throat> so we, we went to the show or whatever. And, you know, it's not the bottom. It's a great show. And, and one of the things I do remember as well is that when I was walking around the arena, you know, either to get to my seat or, or go to the bathroom or whatever, I kept seeing people I knew, which was an interesting thing. Like, my cousin was there. I had no idea my cousin was going. He told me he stopped watching wrestling years ago. We never even talked about wrestling. And he was there. And then I had another friend, Sean, who, who does our Raw reviews there. Now, I was kind of casual friends with him at that point, but I saw him and I saw, like, five or six of my friends. And we didn't, you know, nobody, we didn't talk about this at all. We just kind of kept it to ourselves. And, and like, it, they were people that I was, I was, you know, I was wrestling fans, I was wrestling friends, I would say, with them for years, and then, like, all of them just sort of said that they stopped watching, or, oh, I don't watch anymore, but they were all there, and I, like, it seemed almost like fate that I would, like, run into every single one of them, like, every, you know, as I was walking around or whatever, so it's just, like, the event, there was such a, a crazy build-up for it, obviously, Punk being in Chicago, you could tell from the minute that that thing started that the crowd was just going to go insane for him, and, and I'm a big crowd reaction guy, like, honestly, it's one of the things that makes me enjoy a wrestling match more than, than some others, you know, so, some people will sort of be able to kind of take the context out of it and go, okay, let me, the bell rings, now I'm watching this match and then seeing what the technical aspects of it or whatever. I'm a big crowd guy. I'm a big, you know, the story that's building up to it. I think that's just as important as what happens, you know, in the ring. And, and I'm a big fan of, you know, obviously, you know, work rate and in-ring stuff, but this one just had so much to it. And, you know, at that arena, they were selling, you know, specific CM Punk t-shirts for this night and they sold out and people are just going nuts over them. And, and you could just tell from the minute <clears throat> that that show launched and, and it started that the crowd was going to go nuts. And then, <clears throat> you know, CM Punk comes out and it's just go, it, it, it's insane. Like I have never, ever, ever, and, and you obviously know that it's, it's, you know, historic pop of all time. Like I've never been in an arena and hear that. And I've, I've been to, you know, NBA championship games with the Bulls, you know, you know in the nineties with Michael Jordan. I've been to numerous wrestling events. I've never heard anything like that crowd. Because it just it was like a raw emotion out of these people, and then you know Cena comes out, and every single person other than you know there was like one little kid next to me that was probably just like, oh no, like what is going on here? He had his like Cena gear on, and was just like his dad was just like, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know, son, because like and and like the vitriol, because it was like, and I've been to a lot of, of Allstate Arena, you know, pay per views and Raws or whatever. This crowd was like so mid twenties to thirties, 
like unlike any I've ever seen. And like they, it was it almost felt like I've never been to an ECW crowd or like ECW in the heyday. But when Cena came out, and like you can sort of get that on the TV that you know people are booing him and and really, but like hearing what people were saying about this guy, like vile stuff about John Cena, and it was it was fun though because I got lost in it. My friends and I were you know fuck you Cena, you know. And I was like and I like John Cena. I don't really care, but it was just like you just got lost in it, and people were going nuts and like. We were all just in, everybody was in unison of, like, we were going to cheer for this and boo for this and, and do all that sort of stuff. Um, and the match itself, too, I mentioned, you know, I, I, of course, care about the in-ring. You know, it was, it, it was sloppy at times, but, you know, CM Punk would always sort of be semi-sloppy. I mean, that was sort of what he did always. But uh, I really thought, I mean, fantastic match, I thought, all around. They were just so good at playing up emotions. And you could tell John Cena knew, you, you know, and, and there was times when they called audible to make sure stuff, you know, lasted a little bit longer. You know, Punk would, Punk was great too at, at, at sort of interacting with uh, the, the crowd as well. I mean, there was a point where everybody was chanting, you can't wrestle at John Cena. And, you know, Punk was in control. And then he like, kind of looks up and he, he points at me and everyone goes, no, no, we're not talking about you. We're talking about that guy. Fuck John Cena or whatever. And it was just like little stuff like that that I just loved. It seemed like they were just working on the fly a little bit and that both guys really loved it. And then, you know, you get to the, the, the ending sequence which is, it, it's still vivid in my mind because there are points where, where my friend goes, okay, Cena's got to win this one, right? And I said, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I don't think, or, or, or Punk's got to win this one. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. And then I think Cena hits like a, an AA or something and goes for a pinfall. I remember all of us just going, oh, no, oh, no, no. And then Punk kicks out and we just go nuts. And it was just like, it, it's, the experience of it, of just being in the crowd there was just so, it, it took me back and it was like, this is why I love wrestling. This is why I devoted, you know, a lot of my life to wrestling of, of going online and talking to people and, and buying tapes. I mean, God, I spent, you know, hundreds of thousands of, you know, thousands of dollars probably on like, you know, tapes and DVDs and all that sort of stuff. And, and after that, it was like, this is why I do it. And it, it before the match was even over, I just said, this is incredible. This is just a different atmosphere, a different feeling than I've had in wrestling for, for so long. And then, you know, punk wins. Um, you know, everybody goes nuts. It's like, you know, the hometown boy wins, and then you get the stuff where, Del, you know, Vince calls Del Rio out. Uh, you know, Punk runs out to the crowd, and like that, too. It was like such a vivid moment, and it was, again, it was one of those moments where I'm like, yeah, I know this is a work, but, man, that's really cool. Like, he just left through the crowd, and, like, he's done. And, and you know, uh, going back later and watching it, you, you know, you hear Michael Cole be like, oh, my God, he's leaving through the crowd. And just, just the whole, everything was done. I mean, the presentation was done right. It just felt good. There was just raw emotion, you know, throughout the match, throughout the build. And then in the end as well, and it was like, okay, wrestling is good again. You know, you know, it was one of those things. Like, this is good. We're 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 back on track. We're ready to go. Of course, you know, it ended with you know Kevin Nash getting a text message. <laughs> Whatever the hell. Yeah. I was like, ah, you know, in record time, they just decided, ah, you know, screw this. Because you know, I really felt like, oh my god, especially on that event too, because people forget, you know, Daniel Bryan won uh, the Money in the Bank at that event. Uh, you know, CM Punk wins in the main event. It's like, man, it's like a Ring of Honor fan, a big time Ring of Honor fan. It's like you know, twenty two or twenty three at the time. I'm like. This is incredible. This is WWE is, is is catering to me, man. And you know it was quickly you know dissolved. But you know after that moment of, of being there, um, we went out. My buddy and I we went out to eat afterwards and got you know some beers because we just couldn't sleep. We were just you know going nuts. Um, you know he drops me off at my house and I, I go to lay down to go to bed and I'm just like I'm up. I, there's no way I'm gonna fall asleep at any point. Uh, so I'm just like thinking of you know what can I do you know what I, I got to figure out something to do so I can start playing video games. I play like about a minute of video games and I put it down and I go you know what, <laughs> and I've had a long history. I, I did sports writing uh, for for many years, you know journalism. Uh, I did a communications degree uh, in college and I had at that point been doing you know Chicago Bulls stuff for for Bleacher Report. I rank stuff and I was like, you know what? I need to write about wrestling. Like I just said, like it, it, it this is my calling. Like this is what I've always you know it, it felt just right. I was like, you know what? This is what I. I need to start, you know, spending my free time writing about wrestling and doing stuff about wrestling. So I 
got my computer and said, you know what, I'm going to make a website. And that's how Voices of Wrestling was created that exact night. About a, I think you can look at the, the, the Who Is you know, records or whatever, and you can see it about 4 a.m., uh, on the Monday of, uh, or the Monday after Money in the Bank, like that's when the, the website was registered. That's when the domain was registered. And that's when everything was, was basically designed. I was like, I, I just couldn't go to sleep. And I, I don't think I even fell asleep that night. I called the next day off work because I was like, I, I just can't go. I'm just nuts. And then the next day I was, I kept working on the website and working on the website and coming up with ideas. Um, of course it didn't end up being the, the website. I initially had the idea that like I was going to interview wrestling fans, similar to what you're doing here. And that was going to be my big hook. I did a few of those, and it didn't really take off that well. And then Joe Lanza, who I had known for, for many years um, on different message boards, we used to talk wrestling, he said, hey, why don't we you know, do a podcast or do something like that? And I said, oh, okay, we'll, we'll give it a try. And then and kind of the rest is history. But, yeah, it's a special moment in my life because, I mean, it's, just, it, it's one of my favorite matches of all time. The build is one of my favorites of all time. Uh, the atmosphere and going to the arena at that point was just so incredible and so cool. And just I felt like I belonged. It, it felt like for the first time in a long time, like, yes, this is why I love wrestling. And then it has the bond as well because afterwards, you know, I made the website. I couldn't go to sleep. I was nuts. I had to do something. So I made this website. And now, you know what, God, five years later, we're still doing the website, still doing podcasts. It's, you know, the website's bigger than ever. And I attribute all that, like you said, I'm not on this podcast if it's not for that match. So I, it, it's it's always going to be – I don't think anything is going to top it as my favorite match of all time. There's just too much – there's too much built in um, with me and that match. That's just nothing else is going to ever beat that, I don't think. Yeah, from my perspective, I remember I couldn't be home to watch the pay-per-view that night, but I had the next day off of work, but I had a, I had a lot to do, and I was desperately trying to avoid spoilers. I remember I had to take my cat to the vet, and I was just sitting there in the waiting room, and I'm like, oh, God, please get me back, <laughs> back to my TV. And like you said, like, everything in the long and short term went to hell after. Oh, really quickly. In the long term, after he was gone, or he was back, and it's just, oh, yeah, it was terrible. Back and Triple H beat him, and I still don't understand. Kevin Nash, Kevin why was Kevin Nash involved? <laughs> Kevin Nash shows up. Got to stick him, isn't that what he said in like the text message or something? Some, yeah, some, and, the, and he sent it to himself. Feel, <laughs> oh, I'm getting stop. And then the website. <laughs> I know, yeah. And then Punk leaves the, leaves the company, like you know, two years later. But it, it, all of that still hasn't really diminished. Like how exciting that all! I just yeah. remember, like everyone was like. What's gonna like really? What's gonna happen? I remember Brian Alvarez like hosting a call-in show. I think I called in to I forget what my idea was something dumb, but they actually did like the coolest thing. Like they could have done like Cena winning or you know Del Rio cashing in afterwards, but they did Punk wins and escapes. He leaves through the crowd, blows Vince McMahon a kiss, and it's like oh my god. Yeah, then, it was, it was just because yeah. I mean, there was multiple points during that match too where they always teased Cena winning, Cena winning, Cena winning, and then Punk you know sort of pulled it out, and then Del Rio comes out, and again we're we're going through those range of emotions in the crowd again or at least I personally was, where it's like, oh, my God, we got this great moment. You know, the crowd pop. It's a legendary crowd pop when Punk gets the win. And then, you know, Vince goes to the headset and calls for Del Rio to come out, and Del Rio comes out, and we're all like, oh, no, like, damn it, that's what they're going to do. Like, that's how they're going to get out of it. And then he just DCSs him and then runs out, and everyone's like, holy shit. Like, you know, it, it's, it was for the first time in what felt like forever, and, and they felt like just the story from beginning to end, it was just such a well-told, well-built um you know, there was just no slip-ups in the way of that story. Like, that part it, it, with the crescendo of, of Punk leaving through the crowd, I mean, that month was just, like, everything was just perfect of, of how they did that. And it was like, yes, this is where you get – this is how you get raw emotion out of people. This is how you tell stories in wrestling and make it, you know, mean something. And then, of course, yeah, two weeks later, it, it's all weird, and nobody believes that anymore, and it, it's just weird. But, yeah, like, it, you know, it, it, even as, like, a 24 – I, I forget my age or whatever – 
I just got lost in it. And like, that doesn't really happen with me anymore. You know what I mean? Like when you get to that age and it's hard to get lost in this, but there was a moment where I was like, yes, this is a, you know, CM Punk is defending me and John Cena is the evil boo WWE. And it was, there was just so much in there. And it was just such an incredible moment. And yeah, I remember that, I remember the build up there. I remember the, the day before, um, listen to all the radio shows. Like they did Chicago sports radio had like, they were talking wrestling and it was like insane because like, it was just so like the city just went nuts for it and went just incredible and that's it's just it's an experience like I've never ever felt with wrestling. There you go, the last uh, WWE match to win the Observer match of the year, and it's been a New Japan run since then. But yep, there you go. That's a hell of a match. Our most recent match that's been picked so far. Oh yeah, which is interesting. But everything else has been from the nineties. So. I was too. I mean, most of the nineties stuff, and, and going back, I love a lot of it. But you know, I, I was. My peak time watching was in the you know the Attitude Era and the, and the you know the current is, is really my peak. I'm only you know 29 right now, so I'm a little bit younger. But yeah, I mean I love a lot of stuff in the night. But yeah, the, the, this is just you know, and everybody I'm sure has that match where it's just they're attached to it in one way or another. And this one is just always going to be attached to me as a personal moment and, and just something I'll never forget. I mean I have the ticket, I have it framed. It's just it, it's it was nuts. It just made me <laughs> a completely different person. And, and yeah, like I said, I've devoted now the next five years of my life to doing a lot of you know on the side. Of doing this website and all that, and I, I thank or, or get mad at it. You know, I, I guess I shouldn't thank. I've lost a lot of free time <laughs> and, and really uh, dislike my life in general after that match. But no, it, it's you know, it's, it, it, it was great, and yeah, it, it's what created this website, and that's why I always tell people it, it's a fun little story to say. And I'm not making it up. Like it's legit that that night I went and I was like, I must create a website. <laughs> like I need to be a part of this. And then yeah, it, it's just there's just a different emotion attached to that match than any other match I've ever seen. All right, well, thank you very much for uh, coming on. Why don't you tell the people where they can find this uh, magical website you've created? Yes, uh, voicesofwrestling.com. Uh, we have reviews, columns, opinions, all that good stuff. Uh, many, many different podcasts as well, including, you know, the one that, that Joe mentioned a little bit earlier. It's me and uh, my co-host, Joe Lanza. We do the Voice of Wrestling flagship podcast. There's also Shake Them Ropes. This is a WWE-centric uh, podcast. We have the Brit Rest Roundtable, which covers all uh, European wrestling, which is a growing, which is an exploding market. Uh, in the past year, we have the Pearlcast, which just focuses on New Japan. We just launched the Dragon Gate uh, podcast as well. So we're we're trying to get in little niches of everything. We don't want any podcast to be like the other, and that's kind of our, our main goal. Uh, but, yeah, VoiceWrestling.com, we review all the weekly shows, all the big pay-per-views from, you know, all the major companies, uh, New Japan, Ring of Honor, WWE, all that good stuff. Uh, and then, yeah, if you want to follow us on Twitter, uh, Joe and I both tweet. Uh, I'm the one who doesn't offend you, and Joe's the one that probably does offend you. Um, and you can follow us at Voices Wrestling if you'd interested in doing that. But uh, VoiceWrestling.com and at Voices Wrestling are the two things you're going to want to look for. All right. Thank you very much, Rich. Thank you. And we are back with the other half of the Voices of Wrestling flagship show, the always punctual Mr. Joe Lanza. Joe, how you doing? Always punctual. Now, that's an introduction. That, that's a new one. I've, I've had the king of banter. I've had internationally acclaimed broadcast journalists, but I've never had always punctual, but I'll take it. Well, your partner kept me waiting for two hours to record his uh, his segment. So you know, I'm always positioned as the heel of of the tandem, and I and I think that's unfair sometimes. You know, that rich who really put you over the barrel sometimes, as I know firsthand. You know, I'm sitting and I'm waiting, and I'm like, you know, I send him an email, and I'm like, ah, where's this guy? But then you go into like, oh, what if something terrible happened? What if he's in a ditch somewhere? And then he emails me. He just lost track of time at the gym. So there you go. You know what? Typical rich is all I gotta say. Well, moving on. Joe, what's your favorite match of all time? Uh, I got to tell you, before we get into that, you are, I have to say, you, you are the godfather of pro wrestling podcasts. And you've been doing this for a very long time. 
And I just thought that I needed to tell you that, uh, you know, all the other, the, the plethora of wrestling podcasts that have come since, you're responsible for all of them. Um, all the crappy ones. And, and, <laughs> and including, <laughs> including the, uh, including the garbage we put out on a weekly basis over at voicewrestling.com, the Voice Wrestling flagship podcast. But seriously, you've been doing this, uh, for, a decade, Joe, and um, I think you deserve a little pat on the back and some blame for all of the endless stream of, of terrible shows that are out there too. But 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 seriously though, you you know you, you're the godfather of wrestling podcasts. Well, thank you, I appreciate that. I'll give myself a little Barry Horowitz pat on the back right there. Very nice. As far as my favorite match of all time. You know, I was going to, you know, you pitched this concept to me, and I wasn't sure, you know, I, I, I could have went chalk with something like a Kenta Kabashi match or or uh, something along those lines and, and bored the hell out of everybody. But you know what? I was having a hard time coming up with, with a favorite match of all time. So what I chose was, uh, without question, the match that I've seen more than any other match of all time. I've watched this match more than any other match in the history of wrestling. And that's the 1988 Royal Rumble match, which I think caught you by surprise when I chose it. it I did not expect a match with uh, Sam Houston, Boris Zukov, Dangerous Danny Davis, and Hillbilly Jim to be discussed on this show. So why don't you elaborate a bit more on this? You see, Joe, this is when young Joe Lanza discovered how to use a VCR. So this was one of, if not the first wrestling shows I ever recorded. And as a result, you know, you had 11 or 12-year-old Joe, whatever it was. I watched the shit out of this uh, entire show, including this match. Can, can, I, can I use profanity here, Mr. Gagne? This is, go, go nuts. This, this is fine. This is not my usual home. I, 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 I'm out of my comfort zone. I, I, I watched this match probably no less than 50 times, and I, I don't think I'm exaggerating. Um, it, it was it was th- th- this whole, this newfangled device called the VCR was new to me, and uh, th- this event of you know even the the torturous Dino Bravo bench press <laughs> attempts, which took place on this show, which has to rank as one of the worst wrestling segments in the history of wrestling, for people who haven't seen it. I mean, there's nothing more boring than that. Uh, but yeah, but the match itself, of course, the 1988 Royal Rumble match, I've, 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 I'd be willing to wager that no person on earth has watched this match as many times as I have. Yes, it's important to notice for our younger listeners that this, the first Royal Rumble, the first televised one, was on the USA Network opposite an NWA pay-per-view. So this was, I mean, this was a big deal, like, you know, a big, a big show gimmick match, the, just like an endless segment where Diesel Bravo lifted weights. It was, uh, I remember this too. It was, I mean, God, it was, uh, the Jumping Bomb Angels were on this show, which was like mind blowing. And then this really lengthy, interesting match. Like, I, I, like, I can see why this stuck with you. Yeah. I mean, this, let me tell you something. This was the talk at the bus stop the next day. Right? This was the talk at the bus stop for, you know, you know, the next couple of weeks. This was the talk in my neighborhood for months because I kept bringing this stupid tape over people's houses <laughs> and sticking it into their VCRs after school. And, you know, the match was so long, you know, relatively speaking, we, we couldn't watch it in one sitting, you know, because you've you got to get home, in, you know, in a half hour to go eat dinner after school. So you watch a little bit of the match now, then you come back the next day. My friends must have hated me because I kept bringing this stupid match over for them to watch. Half of them weren't even wrestling fans. But here I am with my with my dumb Royal Rumble match. So I, I went back and watched the match. I don't know. I don't, do you do you view it regularly, or is this just? Uh... <laughs> I got this is crazy. But uh, the first thing I watched 
when I got the award-winning WWE. This is the first thing I looked for. Uh, but <laughs> it didn't feel right. I mean, I still got the grainy VHS, you know. And and, yeah. and one day, you know, when I it, it's somewhere in my mother's attic, I'm going to find that grainy VHS of this. I'm sure it's worn down to, to, to almost nothing at this point. And, and I didn't feel – so I am not going to watch this match until I get my hands on that grainy VHS again. Yeah, you want the little lines on the screen and, you know, the little autofocus at some point to get the, the full effect. Listen, not the, if I'm not playing with the tracking button, then it's not the mm-hmm. authentic experience. So what kind of VCR did you have back in uh, 1987? I, we, my family is also a fairly early adopter. I remember our version. Like, you would hit a button and, like, a tray would come up to the top and you would put the tape in and press it back down to uh, to record. Yeah, man. It, there was also, like, a 10-second delay before, when you hit record and when it would actually record, which is, you know, you try to do things without commercials. It was just... You just end up with a garbled mess. Yes, there was a timing aspect to this. Because yeah. it wasn't like your DVR now where you hit the little record button and it's instantaneous. Or even now today, if, you, if you're if you watching something and you hit the, the record button on your DVR, it'll start from the beginning, which is yeah. mind-blowing. Yes. <laughs> with these VCRs, you're right. I had one of those top-load deals myself. And and it wouldn't be instant. You'd hit that button, and there would be that little delay. So you had to time the commercials. You became an expert on, like, television production, and you could figure out exactly when the show was coming back on. Absolutely. Cause you, listen, if you were an expert wrestling recorder like, like I uh, eventually became, you didn't want commercials on your, on your tape. I mean, oh. even on the extra long play, you only had six hours to work with here, okay? So you have to take advantage of every second. So you couldn't have those pesky commercials. Although, in hindsight, I wish I had the commercials now, because I'm sure there were some very wacky commercials in uh, January of 1988 on USA Network. Oh, no doubt. We <laughs> press on nails and wherever else it's going on. So. Whoever was advertising for the WWF at the time. Um, back to the match itself. It's interesting that they... They kind of had the formula down at this point. I mean, there were no stars in it, no Hogan. Or, it was pretty much a mid-card rumble, only 20 guys. But you had the guy who goes a long time in Bret Hart. You had the guy who comes in, tosses a bunch of guys in one-man gang. I mean, it's, it's not the best rumble, but it's way far from the worst. Oh, I don't even think it's close to the worst. It's not a bad little rumble. No. Like, they, you know, they. I mean, they, they ran one of the house show, and um, I, I just looked up the note. It's funny because uh, – the one-man gang one in the pre-match stipulation was that he would earn a world title shot for the next show in St. Louis. But they announced this title shot during intermission before the match, so it didn't go over too well. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. Or so hot, but... Um, <laughs> that's that's a bad job. Yeah, they, they, yeah that's, that's a pretty bad job in St. Louis. Terrible. But, um, no, kind of, I mean, you know, fun little rumble match. A lot of, like, <laughs> who's, the, who's the guy you look at, like... Oh, yeah, that guy, like, for me, it was like Danny Davis. Like, oh, yeah, Danny Davis, still wrestling in his referee uniform. I remember being terrified he was going to win because he just kind of had that, like, you know, even though his push had largely subsided by then, it was like, uh uh-oh, like, Danny Davis was hanging around for a bit. Like, he didn't get tossed instantly. That put the fear of God in me. Hey, he lasted a long time in that that rumble. I think he had, like, the second or third longest time. But uh, he was feuding with Sam Houston at the time. Which, you know, you just don't get those prelim feuds anymore in, in the day. They don't they don't bother with that these days. So I, no. I appreciated the fact that and they came in back to back, 
which was interesting, too, because they were feuding at the time. That's right. But I like how they shot a little mini angle. But you're right, because they kind of had the Rumble template down, like you mentioned. Bret Hart was the Iron Man, and, and One Man Gang tossed half of the field. And you had all those tropes that have continued on now, what, I guess almost 30 years later. They also, mm. they also ran a little angle in this Rumble, because if you remember, uh, uh, Nikolai Volkov and The Rock, Don Morocco... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> attempted to enter the right. <laughs> They attempted to enter the match at the same time, and there was a bit of a dispute. And uh, as I recall, Morocco ended that dispute quickly by just decking Volkov and deciding I'm going in next. And then uh, the referees made Volkov wait for the next two minute interval. And then I'll always remember it's burned in my brain when those two minutes were finally up. The smile on Nikolai's face when he finally got to enter the ring. And, and jump into the carnage. So they even did a little little mini angle in the middle of the match, which was a lot of fun. That's right. And uh, Jim Duggan and Harley Race kind of had a little altercation as Hacksaw came down to the ring. I'm not sure if that – I can't remember if that kicked off their feud or just continued it, but just kind of another little building block there. I also like how the clock started at 13 seconds for some reason when they had the countdown. <laughs> Very bizarre. Like, why not uh, – anyway. And you had Jesse and Vince on commentary. Ah, oh, it was just a good time, you know. It was a hell of a time. It was a lot of fun. And um, now, you know, I've been waiting for the vein, uh, the grainy VHS. Is this even on the WWE Network? I, I, because it wasn't a pay-per-view. Uh, yes. No, I, I think they just kind of lumped it into the pay-per-views to, to avoid having to have it in some strange category. Well, now I'm all fired up, and i got to watch it when we're, when, immediately when we're finished here. Because now you got me all fired up, and, and I'm, right. I'm going to blow my gimmick. i got to watch the match. <laughs> all right, sounds good. Well, thank you very much for coming on. For your words of uh, praise and a little guilt, too. Uh, and uh, why don't you uh, plug whatever you have? I'm sure Mr. Kreitch, uh he's the plug master of, of the duo, along with being the undercover heel, as you have found out. But uh, it's VoicesWrestling.com, at Voices Wrestling on Twitter. And uh, that's it, my man. I'm not going to bore you with a million more plugs. All right, well, then... <laughs> Joe Lanza show will be out in the months <laughs> in the months since we've recorded we recorded this. Uh, the Lanza Unfiltered show? Yes. I can yes. tell you, 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 you gave me the air date for this segment, which I'm not gonna say on the air to show you how like we filmed this about uh, how we recorded this about three years in advance. But um if if Lanza Unfiltered is not out by the time that this airs, it's never going to be out. So yes, I would say that Lanza Unfiltered will be out uh, by the time people are listening to this. All right, anything else? I'm good. All right. Thanks, Joe. You're welcome. All right. And joining me now is uh, independent wrestling chronicler, provocateur. I don't know. It's Kevin Ford. Kevin, how you doing? I like those words. Those are pretty great. I'll take them. And I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for having me on your show. Ten big years. Congratulations, Joe. Ten. Ten. Flashing like Ty Dillinger right now to no one in particular. To me, really. Okay. Yes. Uh... Ken, what's your favorite uh, wrestling match of all time? Gosh, this was really a, a tough call. But when I think... Especially tough, because I wouldn't let you do your first Well, call. you know, and even that, you know, it's it's kind of always been a toss-up. I think it's really hard for... I don't know how people can pinpoint that one certain match that is most definitely their favorite. But when I when I couldn't do my first choice, which was Bret Hart versus Stone Cold at WrestleMania 13, because someone else did that, and me repeating that just wouldn't be the greatest of podcasting, I went with another one that I could easily call my favorite, and that's Shawn Michaels versus Kurt Angle from WrestleMania 21. Now, far be it from me to question anyone's choices, but given all the work you've done in the world of independent wrestling, I would have thought uh, 
maybe an age car match or something would have been biking. Yeah, um, I mean, you would think. I mean, given my given my presence on the internet, that would make sense. But we all got to start somewhere, right? And my childhood, like most others, starts with the WWF. I'm one of the kids of the Bret Hart Shawn Michaels generation, and I would say that when this match happened is around the time when I started understanding wrestling more for the the art of the of the whole thing, the sport of the the work of the of the whole thing, if you will. And so I was also a really big Kurt Angle fan. So seeing Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels together was a huge thrill for me as a fan for both of those guys. But I not only enjoyed it from the spectacle it was, but also felt like at the time I was beginning to appreciate uh the work being put into the match by both guys and just seeing how great this was and the emotional roller coaster they took the fans on in addition to the intricacies of of the moves and the story of the match and all that stuff. So that kind of led me to being able to appreciate something like independent wrestling, which is kind of that platform that's able to put on those more intricate matches without all the, you know, just without having to deal with all the other stuff that WWE has to deal with sometimes. And, yeah, that was kind of really the start of it, in, in my in that next level of fandom. Yeah, I used to judge matches by if the good guy won, and if he won with his finishing move, then it was a classic match. <laughs> if not, then no. But yes, there, there does come a point where you realize matches, some matches are more exciting than others, and some pull you in more for, for certain reasons. And I think this would certainly qualify as one. Did you see this match as it occurred? I didn't, um, but I but I was following, uh, you know, all the television and stuff for it. And I saw it pretty shortly after. I think I saw it when it came out on DVD just a month or two later. I was still in. I was still at. Uh, I was in junior or senior year in high school when this came out, so I still was was young enough where I didn't have any money to buy pay per view or what have you. But yeah, I, I you know, and even being that kid from the age where I started watching it, where it didn't going back and seeing all the Coliseum videos and stuff. Having this story where Kurt Angle brings in Marty Jannetty and beats him, uh, but having a good enough match that Marty Jannetty got signed by WWE, and him bringing in Sherry Martell, and uh, that segment on SmackDown where Kurt Angle does his version of Shop Michael's theme music is one of the best. Um, mm-hmm. So I was able to appreciate all that online buzzing about it when it happened. So when I finally saw it, lived up to the hype, and it was just it was just a masterpiece. I just laugh because I'm sure some new fan today is being like, you couldn't afford to see a pay-per-view? And what's a DVD? Yeah, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, now, now that's just unfathomable. But, you know, it's it's a little hard when you're in high school to be like, hey, Mom and Dad, can you pay $50 for this for this wrestling show and stay up till 1130 or whatever it is on a, on a school night? Um, so I waited for the DVD like a good boy, and I was not disappointed. Excellent. So I went back and watched this match through the magic of the – WWE Network. I remember because this whole WrestleMania is actually really strong. Up, up to, it, it kind of teeters off when Akabono and the Big Show show sure. up. But uh, but this, yeah, this was clearly the centerpiece. And um, yeah, this really pulled me in. I remember, you know, I remembered all the ending. I knew what happened. But yeah, this just like this one, like like you said, the twists and turns and where they took you. This one just in like the long submission battle. I thought Sean was excellent, fading fighting off the mission at the end, just, oh, just so good overall. Yeah, and I feel like I, I like the beginning of it a lot, because I, I, too, rewatched it on the network. Um, didn't have to pull out my DVD this time. <laughs> and I really liked in the beginning there, when Sean was out wrestling Angle, and Angle would get angry, or he would kind of change his, his ways, 
because you know he's more known for his mat wrestling and his, his certain techniques. And it was almost like he like Sean worked him up so badly that he started betraying his instincts until faithfully he was able to to you know he was going for the angle slam on the floor and Sean's notoriously bad back hit the ring post. And then it was kind of over from there. He went over, he worked over the back, and then, as you said, the ankle lock, and just the amount of time Sean was in it. And and sometimes I think the crowd either dies if someone's in a submission too long, or people feel like if somebody doesn't tap out right away or close to it, it kind of diminishes the effect of the the hold itself. But just the way Sean sold it and the way Jim Ross was, was putting it over on commentary – I really think that it helped. It added to the story as opposed to taken away. And I feel like you need two people as good as Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels to portray that. And I like even little things like when, when Shawn had Kurt Angle in a, in a headlock, as opposed to trying to fight his way free, Angle just pulled his hair to try to get rid of the headlock, which is such a cool little thing. Just, like, just, just to be a jerk. You know Kurt Angle's good enough where he could work his way to maneuver out of a side headlock, but why not pull, pull that hair? Yeah, and you mentioned Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler, and I watched this. I'm like, oh, yeah, good commentary is really good sometimes. Uh, doesn't it just add so much? Because I know even when people were talking about the uh, – there was a tag match on SmackDown about a week ago. I think it was Kevin Owens and The Miz versus Neville and uh, Zane. And just when it happened on the tapings, people on, on Twitter were saying, I'm really excited to see this match with commentary by Mauro Ronaldo kind of implying that if it was on Raw and it was JBL and Michael Cole calling at their excitement level wouldn't be the same. I don't know if it affects it that much, but I think especially in an environment like WrestleMania with two athletes like this, that's just icing on the cake. And it really kind of makes a match, to me, a little bit more memorable and just and just puts it on a different level. It can, it can really help a lot. Well, are you saying if Byron Saxon was there saying things like, oh, he's really got the universe really behind him right now, guys? Yeah. you saying that, that, that wouldn't have to be? Well, I don't know. Or just Gio being like, ah, oh, he's got the ankle lock. I love it, Maggle. Something like that. Ah, Maggle. I like how we have um, <laughs> an accepted spelling of JBL's pronunciation of Maggle. M-A-G-G-L-E. I and everyone just, yep, every, someone just threw it out there one day, and everyone just accepted that as, uh, as truth. And I'm okay with this. That's right. And and one kind of aspect of this, too, I think that, you know, I think it's maybe the spot most people remember is the, the Shawn Michaels dive, where he does um, not exactly an acai moonsault because he sw- switches over to a crossbody under Kurt onto the table. But I, I, for some reason, remembered it a little differently than it happened, not in what the move was, but I feel like Shawn hit it almost flawlessly. And I feel like at the time I remembered it being a little more clunky or not connecting so correctly. But watching it back, I'm like, it's pretty amazing that a man who was in the shape he was coming back out and, and being beaten down for so many years and having the knee, his knee the way it was, to be able to execute that with the grace he did is, is really remarkable. That's right. That was on um, Taz and Michael Cole's desk. Because this, this was a battle of the brands. Mm-hmm. When that brand split was a thing. Oh, my goodness. And even part of me, like, I know a lot of people are – with the Shane McMahon stuff coming up at WrestleMania, I don't know if this is getting posted, but this is pre-WrestleMania. Um, this will go up after WrestleMania. Okay. So you may, uh, you may look a fool, or you may sure. look Well, I know that talks of Shane McMahon, and there's been, you know, kind of people speculating is a brand split going to come back and stuff. And there's definitely positives, and there's definitely negatives to to both aspects of it. But I do think... When I, when I think back to this, when you have these two big characters who at that point had never intersected, 
I don't even think they had had a tag match or anything with each other because Sean was always on Raw and Kurt was always on SmackDown. And for the two of them to come together at, at WrestleMania for the first time, as a, you know, the, I think the first time they really even touched was the Royal Rumble a couple months before. That was a really big thing. Because you never saw them even on the same show at the same time. So having two guys who weren't on TV all the time with each other meeting in a big marquee match, that that really felt like a big deal at the time. So I think that is one positive. And I don't mean not on TV like somebody like Brock Lesnar, Undertaker, who's never there. Um, but the characters who exist in that ecosystem from month to month and finally built and just cross paths was, was really great. And I think if we do go the way of the brand split, yeah, there are some negatives and stuff, but at least there are some bright spots like this that I think people could take in mind if, if the brand split does come to pass once again. That's right, and this was when I mean Sean was really on that streak of the the big WrestleMania matches, and Kurt is Kurt. Is this the year Kurt left? I'm trying to remember because I'm trying to remember when he. I think it was 2006, which is when was this match? Oh, to look at his body work. He had that really weird period between this match and the Sean rematch at Vengeance, where he had that mm-hmm. whole weird like rough bestiality sex storyline with Charmel. Oh, oh yeah. But a lot of his matches just, ah, he was a machine. Um, yep. But, no, so here's here's my sad, unrelated story. But I was, you can you can take Brett, Sean, and Kurt as, like, my top three wrestlers of all time. Who mm-hmm. That order changes depending on the hour, but those are really my three favorites. And I went to a SmackDown ECW on Sci-Fi taping in D.C. one night. And the main event for ECW was supposed to be the... Uh, the three-way ladder match with Rob Van Dam, Sabu, and Kurt Angle with the winner facing then-ECW champion Big Show at SummerSlam. And this was, I was such a huge Kurt Angle fan. I thought, where they did the angle where he got arrested or something by Paul Heyman, and that was his last appearance ever in WWE. And they did the Sabu-RVD ladder match on their own, and it was a train wreck. Um, But... Uh, what a tragedy. Like, I went there, and even the guy had, like, a Kurt Angle t-shirt and all that, and I was so excited to see him, and that's the last time he was in WWE. And, you know, for a lot of people, that's that's kind of the last time they really saw Angle, because uh, just some people don't don't care about TNA or don't tune in. And I think that's also kind of one of the reasons why a lot of people, when you when you mention Michaels and Angle, they, they, they remember it's a really good match, but it doesn't get talked about as much as I think it should. Um, maybe that's just my imagination now. Yeah, because for a lot of people, Kurt vanished off the face of the earth, and uh, you know, you, you hear these stories where he, he, you know, he'd be at a sporting event, and someone come up and say, "Hey, why don't you wrestle anymore?" And he's like, I, "I do on national cable television, yeah. but for all the good it did, yeah." I know. Uh, it was actually yearly. This was uh, he still had the uh, yeah, you're right, the ECW run. This was not this was not near the end, but still. Yeah, and I know he uh, he had the Vengeance rematch with Michaels. Mm-hmm. They had the, the 30 minute Iron Man on Raw, the Homecoming when they went back to USA. And they had a, a really underrated match with the two of them and John Cena at Taboo Tuesday uh, that year. So, And then they were in Elimination Chamber just a couple months later. Um, nobody remembers that match, but everybody remembers Edge cashing in. But, oh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, they, they, they had a lot of stuff going on those uh, those next few months. But I, uh, they had like a random Raw singles match in January of 06 that I don't remember for the life of me. Um, mm-hmm. And that was it. And then Kurt was... 
He was doing other stuff on SmackDown, and then to ECW, and then off to TNN, and for presumably forever, unless he comes back for Hall of Fame or WWE 2K17 or something. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't rule it out. No. I'd All right. It. Well, yeah. No, that would be. Well, imagine if he had come out instead of Shane McMahon. Oh, that's the this, that's yeah. the thing is you know like Kurt Angle is one of my all time favorites, but I'm so torn on do I want him to come back or do I not. Yeah, it's, and you know, for and I, all the reasons are obvious for one or the other, but that's just something I can't come to grips with. Yeah, it's a tough choice. All right, well, I want to thank you for coming on to uh, discuss this. Why don't you tell the people where they can hear more from you? Yeah, sure. So I do a couple of podcasts over at Pro Wrestling Ponderings. I do some DVD reviews and stuff over there, but if you want to hear more from me, uh, I do a podcast called Viva Chikara, which, as you may guess, is about the Chikara Pro Wrestling promotion. Uh, that happens the week before all Chikara events, so you can go ahead and check that out. And sometimes I take a, an appearance on the weekly newscast that Pro Wrestling Ponderings publishes every Tuesday morning where they run down all the news and results and stuff going on in independent wrestling and preview some of the weekend shows, and it's pretty good. And that's over at pwponderings.com, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at kford13 if you are so inclined. Is the uh, Adventure Time podcast still... Uh... Yes, it is. Flooping the Pig is a podcast I do, which is nothing to do with professional wrestling, but that has to do with Adventure Time. Uh, we actually have three episodes in the can. It was on hiatus just because the show went on hiatus as well, and we've put three episodes in the can, and our, uh, our editor is um, is slacking. So ah. he's uh, he's got them all. He's got all the audio. He just needs to find the time and to get to it, so... I'll, uh, I, I've, I've buried him a couple of podcasts that he won't listen to, and this is just another one of them. <laughs> there you go. And also the Late Lamented Fan to Fan podcast. Ah, yes. That kind of went away when uh, my whole m- m- health stuff that we won't even talk about happened many yeah. years ago. But, yeah, I don't know. I I was less busy at that time when I did that podcast. So Weren't we all? We all were, I suppose. But I think those archives are still, if people want to go, you and I did an episode. And yes, we did. A lot of I fun. don't remember the exact episode number, but if you go, the archives are all stuff there. So you want to go to pwpondrings.com under podcasts, you can click on fan to fan, and then it's somewhere in there. There's a lot of other good good people on there as well. Oh, yeah. A lot of good folks. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. Hey, thank you. Hang on. And uh, putting up with our technical difficulties, but we got through it. We did it. And uh, I'll be right back with my next guest. And we are back with a man who has never been on this podcast, although I've been on plenty of his, at least three by my count. He is the host of Everywhere You Look, the Full House podcast, and most importantly, at least to me, the editor of the Funtime Arcade, Mr. Tom Green. Tom, how's it going? Thank you for immediately bringing up the fact that I have commitment issues, Jill Gagney. <laughs> oh, man. You teased Bix when you were on Between the Sheets oh, on all, I, I all deserve his. it. I absolutely do. Trust <laughs> me. I, I, you could say nothing that I've said ten times worse in my own head. So this is what Joe versus the world looks like. Yes, we got a pretty... Uh, Crossing uh, over. Pretty cozy, yeah. There's Matt Feuerstein over there. As I like to call him, Matt Feuerstein. Um, there's, oh, that, there's where Rob Naylor went over on the swing set, and Tanvir, Tanvir's around here somewhere. I hear his name. Wow. All right. Oh, bombed. <laughs> I don't think so. All right, Tom. What's your favorite match of all time? Uh, it was hard because uh, you kind of gave me some heads up. Hey, I want you on the show to talk about your favorite match ever, and I immediately responded, "I'd love to do the show, but I don't have one of those." 
because I don't have favorite things ever. So I had to like do a lot of head scratching and stuff. this is literally the hardest thing I've probably ever had to do for a podcast. And there are podcasts I've cried on, like literally cried on. So, so good job, Joe. Um, I picked and here's the thing. I didn't put enough research in to look up the date on this. Maybe November 26th, 1991? Either way. I think it's the 19th, 19th? but it was the week before uh, Thanksgiving of 1990. Okay, that makes more sense, because I think Thanksgiving night they were at the Omni in Atlanta, where they did, like, uh, Dangerous Alliance versus the good guys, like, big battle or something. Uh, but no, the November something or other 1991 Clash of the Champions. Uh, I have a lot of emotional attachment to this show as it was the first show my mom ever recorded for me because I couldn't stay up uh, and watch it. I was four years old at the time. Stuck at old people. And. That would be me. <laughs> I was in high school at the time. I remember watching. It would have been weird if you bought me pot because oh, I was four and you're hanging out with preschoolers. That's weird. That would be weird. Uh, but uh, I, I, I was either this or like an IWM and South match back when I was going to those in high school because I just I wanted to pick something with emotional attachment, not just oh here's a match with a lot of really good arm bars. Uh, but I, I picked maybe uh, it's, it's me at least the best single night performance of Arn Anderson's career, that uh, being Arn Anderson and Larry Zbyszko, the Enforcers. The World Tag Team Champions at the time against Dustin Rhodes and not Ricky Steamboat. <laughs> uh, just a man. Just a man. Just a man. Uh, to um, to rewind this a bit, uh, the Enforcers were uh, the tag champs. And at Halloween Havoc, uh, Dustin Rhodes and his then-partner Barry Windham arrived in a sweet, sweet ride. Uh, and they attacked, and uh, Larry slammed Barry's arm in the door, earning the nickname The Cruncher. Which is, to me, a step down from the living legend. A bit. Uh, a bit. A bit of a downgrade there. And, uh, so, uh, just to go back to that real quick, not to stretch this out, but uh, I, looking back at that little vignette they did to where they smashed the arm, so, like, if it were WWE, it'd be, like, at night, there'd be a red carpet, lots of lights, you know, actual photographers. WCW found, like, a back road... And I'm assuming the county over at some baseball field where everyone were supposedly pulling up and like at like nine AM like and it would like use pintos. It's uh, the Halloween havoc. And yeah, it was it's it's lovely looking back. It's Yes. But, Eric Bischoff doing the uh, the hosting duties here. It's <laughs> just just Oh wouldn't I guess this man would basically run wrestling in um <laughs> five or four or five it's years or so. The, it's not the creepiest thing he's ever done in Ross. He did that garbage truck thing before sold out. Oh, I guess that's true, too. <laughs> like, that, that's, that show's weird, but we're not talking about that. I mean, Eric Bischoff made out with a 50-year-old beauty queen on that mm-hmm. show. But we're talking about another 50-year-old beauty queen, that being Larry Zbysko. Uh, <laughs> by the way, the Enforcers had, like, the best music to walk out to, to the point where... Uh, uh, little told fight sports Midwest anecdote because that's all I'm good for on these podcasts. 
Um, we almost made Josh Abercrombie change his music to the Enforcer song. Oh. Yeah, he put his foot down, and rightfully so. Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, when you're, like, a semi-successful pro wrestler, you, you have the right to tell an 18-year-old, hey, I'm not coming up to your stupid song that you want me to come out to. <laughs> so those unwritten rules, I think. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, Barry was... Ended up being unable to compete. I don't believe this was announced before the show, because Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone just talked about how, like, well, we don't know if he'll be ready to go. So I think, they, I think Jim Ross at one point was like, oh, he was just hanging out before the show, and he wouldn't tell anybody what was going on, but he was chilling, you know. So we, um, we, <laughs> a, uh, this starts uh, not the best, as the w, I swear the WCW logo on the stage was made wrong. It just looks real crooked. I don't know if it was cut like, wrong or what. Like, it looks really, I forget, was it up in the air? Because there are some shows yeah, that up was. in the air. Like, it kind of seemed right if it's not on the ground because the ground's flat. So it's like, yeah. oh, the WCW logo's coming from the ground, rising like the phoenix out of the ashes. But, no, they just put it up in the air because it would get in the way or something. I guess. Um, and uh, a man in a... a dragon or alligator mask comes out and the saddest pyro goes off like two little smoke things go off Tony surmises this man might be from Japan because he has a, uh, a dragon mask on well that uh, uh, if you listen to the uh, podcast they earned a few weeks ago between the sheets uh, a few weeks before that they were talking about this week and apparently the rumor was among the eight hardcore internet fans that had computers at the time <laughs> that it was going to be the great Muda. So, so Tony was. Getting I guess Tony, yeah, Tony was in the know. He thought because he had masked, and it turned out to be Ricky Steamboat. And the reason this was significant is because we had just seen Ricky Steamboat compete at SummerSlam a few months earlier, and I, I think he did some syndicated TVs afterwards. But this was rather. Sh- I mean, this was shocking at the time. Like, like <laughs> we're recording this the night after the Royal Rumble, and like when Sami Zayn appeared, like it was a cool surprise, but it wasn't anything you didn't expect. Like. It wasn't out of the realm of possibility. This this was at the time because this guy was just in the WWF, and here he is now. Well, that you know we didn't we didn't have a real internet back then. No, like we if didn't. it were 2016, we would have we would have known he was going to be at the Clash before he even left the WWF. Yeah, probably. Like the crowd would have chanted WCW at him at SummerSlam. <laughs> probably. That's too bad. But this was um, an amazing surprise, and he and Dustin and the Enforcers who were. Really a very short run, but, like, really a super tag team. Just kind of like, you know, two guys just kind of picking up the pieces, R and after uh, Flair had left and Luzabisco just kind of bumming around. And just a really awesome tag team. And, you know, this, ah, the crowd was just going nuts. And Steamboat just got to sell for the whole match. Dustin got to make a great hot tag. Had just, like, the super finish where, you know, Steamboat gets the blind tag, comes off, hits the... Crossbody off the top on Arn gets the pin. New World Tag Champs. I I was so happy going back and watching this, and that's something I'm taking away from this project. Is like, oh cool, I get to go rewatch cool wrestling matches, and I'm like, why don't I just go do this and not need a special reason? Oh, it's because we have to, like that's what I've noticed with wrestling is there's so much of it now that you have to yeah. have a reason to go back and watch stuff. Like, yeah. like I have this weird. It's a uh, Almost like, uh, uh, how, how do you put it? Uh, like with, with the Nitros that just went up on the WWE Network, the ones that are slowly trickling out. Like, I would never have a reason to want to watch a Nitro from April 1999, but like six people on my Twitter feed are watching it. So I'm like, I have to watch this now! Because I have to, have to be involved in the conversation. Uh, 
Now, a couple of things we kind of skim past. Uh, when Ricky Steamboat unmasked, the crowd goes nuts, of course, and he gets caught up in the moment, and he high-fives Barry Windham on his broken hand. <laughs> it was amazing. Also, WCW, okay, as much crap as people want to give uh, Kevin Dunn's crew right now, they would never ca- catch a baby face just awkwardly standing on the ramp like he's waiting in line for the fax machine. Probably. Every single guy in this segment, they just kind of had him stand at the top of the ramp for about 15 seconds, and they didn't hide it. They had a, they went to the, the, the hard cam or whatever it would be called, and you can see them like little ants. Um, but yeah, this crowd's ridiculous. Like I, that's why I think like if you go back and watch this clash, like on paper it doesn't look so good, but maybe this is just me with the rose-colored glasses because. I've watched this class clash fight three hundred times because it was my first wrestling recording off the TV, and like I seriously probably watched it monthly for about ten years. Wow! Like except for my mom accidentally stopped started the recording like five minutes late, so it's missing the first minute of the big Josh Thomas Rich lumberjack match. So when the network came around, I'm like, I can finally see this and not have to download it illegally from a torrent site, which, ironically enough, I did download a copy of the show, and it also had the first minute missing. Oh, no. So I'm thinking maybe my mom has... Weird. Does your mom have an XWT account? Yes, probably. Uh, Also, so at the time, you have people reading the newsletters, uh, they were all dumping on Dustin Rhodes because his daddy was the booker. He wasn't that bad. No, no, he was... (laughs) around this time. Yeah, like, he was like, the worst guy in this match, but I mean, Zabisco was on the best run of his career. Arn Anderson's amazing, and Ricky Steamboat is one of the best of all time. It's kind of a hard... It's it's like, I, if I watch sports, I would have an analogy, but I don't. Um, <laughs> and they did a, a move during the heat that is the dumbest heel move ever, but every tag team around this time seemed to do it. So when you get the guy in the Boston Crab, and your partner reaches <laughs> and reaches and pushes on his, on your forehead. Like, what does that do? <laughs> I guess it allows you to go back further, which you couldn't do on your own. I don't know. Yeah. Push on his chest. The head, if anything, it like kind of like camel clutches your own partner, cranks his head back. Yeah. What a dick move. Uh, do an abdominal stretch. Grab <laughs> his hand. Um, yeah, this match is like. It's if you haven't watched, if you're even younger than me, uh, it's such, it's such good ta- like old school tag team wrestling without being old school boring tag team wrestling. Uh, it's it's very much a match that I I think if it had a couple toupees in it would fit in on a episode of 2016 Raw. You know, yeah, a lot, a lot of action, a lot of a lot of good bumps, like the crowd's hot. Uh, Dustin Rhodes, all that stuff. Yeah, it's it's such and I hate rewatching old stuff. If I absolutely have to, without like having my phone out, or my tablet, or whatever, because I have no attention span. But I got through this like without having to pause, without having to look away, and that says something because my brain doesn't work very well. All those concussions that I've. <laughs> uh, Year. But yeah, this is such a fun match. It's on the WWE Network, so um, go go get your free month now. Not because yeah. of WrestleMania, do it because of this specific match that I just told you to watch. 
and then email WWE and be like, hey, Tom told me to subscribe to the network, and it was good, so give him a dollar. It's a good, and give him my PayPal address. Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter for that, because I don't think I'm going to do any good giving it out on the air here, but... Probably not. So there you go. Yeah, go go to the network. Uh, you can search for it. Go back a little bit. You can see the video package and all that. It adds quite a bit. Oh, this Clash, by the way, uh, just watch the whole show because it's like like WCW, early 90s, in two hours. Like everything that's good, bad, and indifferent. Whether it be <laughs> this really good Rick Root sting angle, which led to Rick Root winning mm-hmm. the U.S. title, uh, which started off really cheesy with the gift box thing and Medusa like, wanting to blow Sting, but then Lex Luger jumps them. Uh, a lumberjack match where, for no reason, a heel turn happened, even though, according to the Wrestling Observer, it had happened two days before. Maybe. <laughs> um, and then you get the Van Hammer music video. Oh, yes. My, because it's a music video for a guy that doesn't play an instrument. Uh, and then you get a Lex Luger-Rick Steiner match. It isn't bad. Uh, I think there's a, a WCW Patriots match on here somewhere, I think. Uh, Firebreaker Chip is a That's him and uh, Bobby Eaton, because Bobby Eaton yep. was just turned to heel or was about to turn heel or something. That's uh, right. He pointed Sting down the wrong aisle. Or <laughs> told him he had plenty of time to get back to the arena. Oh, that jerk. Well, he, uh, and that's a quote Bobby Eaton. <laughs> uh, Yes. It's a really fun show, though. It, it is. It really, yeah. Like, this, like the clashes around that point were kind of hit and miss. Like, there are a couple, like, once you get more towards, like, 93, it's, like, harder to find good clash stuff. But, like, this one and then the one in, like, right after in January 92, that one's great. It has, like, one of the more underrated Steiner Brothers matches ever against Mr. Hughes. Oh, that's and right. Later, where they... Like, if you liked the Brock Lesnar, Luke Harper stuff from the Rumble, you would love, like, what, like, imagine if Luke Harper was 400 pounds. It's really, like, so obese. It's really fat. Like, cause the Steiners just suplex these two fat dudes for, like, 10 minutes. It was great. And then there's, like, two really good Dangerous Alliance tag matches on that show, too. And then from there, you go to the NWA tag tournament on the next Clash. There's, like, a really good stretch there. And then I think the one after that was even good. It had, like, a Survivor Series match with the Dangerous Alliance at, like, center stage because that was the one where Andre was on there and people were like, <gasps> and then he died. Yes, he did. That, that, it's actually uh, Rick Rude, Jake Roberts, Super Invader, and Big Van Vader against uh, Sting, Nikita, and the Steiner Brothers. All this is on the network. So, uh, okay, so Hercules Hernandez, he pretty much got named after a video game system. <laughs> like I imagine who I, Bill Watts probably he was hanging with he was with Eric and Eric was like Dad I want a Super Nintendo uh, Super Mario World looks really good I want to play it sometime at the dorm me and, me and my bros uh, in between putting little powdery substances in girls drinks not that I'm accusing Eric Watts of, Watts of date rape I'm really sorry I'm sure he never raped anybody but what I'm getting at is, I don't know what I was getting at. That just that <laughs> okay. fell off a cliff real quick. Super Invader, named after a video game system, Absolutely. I think. Absolutely. Okay. Jake Roberts, that was like his one good WCW match, I think. Like, he had like the hot ass too, yeah. <laughs> and then he just kind of fell off a cliff. Mm. All right, well, 
I want to thank you very much for coming on. Why don't you I'll plug away your various projects? Well, before I plug, um, oh, I'm going to plug, and then I have a surprise for you, Joe. Ooh, um, I like surprises. The big thing is just follow me at Tom Gray on Twitter. Um, and everywhere you look, it's a podcast for my wife and I, and sometimes a friend review episodes of Full House. Um, if, if you're like hardcore, I can't listen to anything but wrestling stuff, then don't bother. But if you have an hour a week or less, to listen to bullcrap about Full House and mostly, and, and we mostly don't like the episodes either. So if you don't like Full House, it's up your alley. Um, iTunes is the way to go. That people subscribe to podcasts these days. Tinyurl.com/slash/fullhousepodcast. Um, That's you just type that in your browser, and the iTunes Store thing pops up, or everywhere you look in the iTunes Store search engine bar. Uh, but mostly, my stuff pops up on Twitter. At that, not, not that Tom Green. Also, you can find the thing that Joe and I do together, the Funtime Arcade, on YouTube, youtube.com slash Mike and Tom present. Uh, go there. Every episode is up there, as well as some special goodies that we've done throughout the years. Um, but Joe, as yep. uh, I've been a big fan of, of Joe versus the world for the past decade, um, as have a lot of people. You are the godfather of podcasts about wrestling not started by millionaires. Um, industry <laughs> secret, Joe Gagnon, not a millionaire. Oh, and that's um, I've started multiple things that have been lesser versions of Joe versus the world. Personally, have as have lots and lots of people. Um, one would argue that there are people who would not have had WWE office jobs without Joe versus the world. Hmm. So anyway, what I'm getting at is you have left a giant footprint on the Internet, and thus I wanted to leave a giant footprint on you. So I, I wrote, a, a, I guess it's a song that I, I want to, I have the first couple of verses. I'm kind of working on them. I uh, worked very hard. I didn't just write them 10 minutes while I was eating dinner earlier. Um, I don't have a title for it. Um, maybe you can help me after I, I, I sing you these first couple of verses. Um, <clears throat> I have a song in a, at least three days. Alvarez, Vinny V, Matt Foy, Dr. Keith Tan, Vera Lacor, American Balloon, Chris Dempsey Coughlin, Semper Vivi, that guy's been, North Korea, South Korea, Justin Shapiro, Albert Ching, Jatron, Coswath, now Tom, Naila, Phil Schneider, Recap of 95, Quackenbush, Cubs fan, David, Dixon Span, Tom, Felix, Scott Christ, Joe Gagne, goodbye. I am thinking oh. something like, it's fine, like something heat related. Maybe Joe doesn't like arson. Uh, it's true, I don't. Yeah. So that, that's on that's on brand. Yeah. So I think I I don't know I I, I kind of like it. Uh, it, but it's my that's my gift to you. Oh, uh, well, thank you. The Joe versus the world universe. Mm-hmm. On on behalf of myself, thank you so much for ten years of service. Um, oh. And I'm not sure if you've put it into any of the other segments. But uh, please go, if you have not done so already, donate to the March of Dimes. Seriously, it's an awesome cause, and Joe is really cool for pushing that out every time he does one of these. So, Well, thank you. All right, Tom, thank you very much. Thank you. That's going to do it for part one. If we've discussed any matches you haven't seen, please take the time to check them out. Everything from this show is on the WWE Network, so it shouldn't be too hard. And if you heard someone you're not familiar with, check out their projects, whether it be podcasts or announcing or being involved in shows. Well worth the time, I assure you. 
And that's going to do it for part one. Check back tomorrow for our epic conclusion. And I will talk to you then. Thank you.